the 27th of uh, November of uh, 2004. Uh, this will be the last healing school at Justin this year. Uh, next month, in December the 25th, is on Saturday, the fourth Saturday, and that's Christmas Day. So I will not have a healing school here next month because I don't really think anybody would come. So I'm not even going to try to have one. We will have one the second Saturday of next month in Dallas, but we will not have one the fourth Saturday. Uh, that's uh, that information is on our website. So uh, we did uh, all the way from the beginning of the year. I have not planned one because when I was putting them on there, I noticed the 25th came out on Christmas Day uh, on fourth Saturday. So I thought no use to have a healing school on the 25th. Everybody will either be talking about something else, but the majority of the world will be involved in opening Christmas gifts, gifts and things like that. And the majority of the world will not be talking about Jesus on the 25th. They'll be talking about something else. But anyway, Jesus is an awesome God. And I don't know when His birthday is. I don't think anybody really knows. But we do use the 25th to celebrate that day. And so as we go forth... We will do the best we can to be examples of the King. On the the things that I want us to start off with today on this healing school today, I want to try to give you a little bit of a history of why I believe that man has all these problems that we have on this earth. Why we're sick and afflicted and tormented. There's got to be a cause and an effect for everything. Nothing just accidentally happens. I'm completely convinced. Nothing just accidentally happens. And there is, on this world, as many of you, maybe all of us know, that in the beginning God made the earth and the heavens and He gave it to men. And he made man and he put man in the garden and there was no sickness, no disease, no pain. You know, man was going to reign and rule over the earth. And literally, according to the Word of God, we were made the gods over this world. Jesus clearly told us that in Psalms 82.6. You know, now a lot of people have a real problem believing that in the beginning God made us as gods. But we're little gods. We're His children, so to say. So we're made in His image and His likeness. And Psalms chapter 82, verse 6, clearly says. In fact, we will go there and we will read that just so that you will see that in your own Bible. Because uh, uh, I had a young man ask me one day. He called me. I'll never forget this day. A young man called me and he said, uh, A friend of mine just came over to the house and he said he was watching a well-known uh, uh, TV evangelist and he said the guy just made a statement that we were gods and he said I turned him off and I thought you know this guy's crazy and so he come over and asked this man that I know about in Waco about this and he said well I don't know but he said I have I know a man in Dallas that might know the answer so he called me 
and asked me what I thought about us being gods. I told him, I said, well, personally, I won't touch that with a ten-foot pole, but I'll take it to the Word of God and let it answer it itself. So I said, if I were just to tell you what this is, you probably would think I was crazy. So I said, you do believe the Bible is the Word of God? He said, yes, I do. I said, open your Bible and read Psalms 82.6. So he turned the Bible and he said, I have said, you are gods. Now you notice that's a little g. You are gods and all of your children are the most high. And of course, most high, the high there, that's capital. That's talking about God the Father. But he has made us in the beginning gods. And then when we think about that, let's come on over to the New Testament and let's get one more scripture. Let's go to John 10, uh, 34, and let's see what the Lord said here when he was talking to the religious uh, group. In John chapter 10, Jesus is telling them a lot of things in John chapter 10. But in verse 34, he goes on to say, and they're having, he's answering a lot of questions for them. And he's having a lot of problem with these religious men. And he says in John 10, 34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. Now, of course, they're gods is capital, but it's not supposed to be. He's made us, he had made us the gods of this world. In other words, in the beginning, God so loved us, the people, and his great love for us, he wanted to, make us and he wanted to make a place that we could live and dwell and so he made this earth and he put this earth here and then he put after he created the heavens and the earth then he made man and he put man in this garden and he gave this and he told man I've made you in my image and my likeness and I've given you dominion over everything now there was no sickness no disease no no, no sin uh, only man walking with God as the gods of this world. Well, some of you know what happened, that there was a created being called Lucifer that was the archangel, powerful archangel, and he wanted to be God, and he was perfect in all of his ways until greed came into his heart, the Word of God says, and then Satan said, I will exalt my throne above the Most High's throne. And he was going to be God of the third heaven. And so he drew a third of the angelic host. He tried to draw all of them, but he couldn't deceive them all. But he did deceive a third of them, and they came in, and he was going to exalt his throne above God's. And so there was war in heaven. I mean, you know, it's amazing. There's even war in heaven. So in the third heaven. So Satan was cast out of heaven and he was cast down to the earth. And of course, Jesus told us in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus said, And I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So Jesus casts Lucifer out of heaven and he cast him down to the earth. Now when... Lucifer was cast out of heaven. He changed his name to Satan, the deceiver, the liar. So he cast him out. 
Now then, Satan is walking to and fro on the earth ever since. Now, as Satan came down to the earth, he had no power over the earth. So he had to deceive mankind and so because God had made the earth and give the earth to mankind. And we were gods of it. We were to rule over it. We were to have dominion over it. And we were to control it by speaking like gods. We had been given that power and authority. So Satan, he wanted to be the God of heaven. And of course, God cast him out of heaven and throwed him down to the earth. But he drew a third of the angels with him. Now then, his spirits, those evil spirits, and himself are walking to and fro on the earth. And he couldn't become the God of heaven, so he wants to become the God of this world. So Satan realizes that Jesus had given the earth to man and given man total legal right over the earth and he can do with it what he wants to. And so Satan knows that if he can deceive the man, he can gain that legal uh, authority and dominion over the earth. And so he does. He approaches mankind. Now Satan comes into the garden to deceive man and he comes in with a twofold curse. The curse of sin and the curse of sickness. Sickness and disease. Because there was no sin on the earth and no sickness and disease until Satan came on the earth. Now, Jesus clearly tells us, well, I mean, whenever you take the book of Job, you can find very clearly there where in the book of Job, where Job was put to the test and Satan came down. Now, we find a great example there in the book of Job. In fact, we might go to Job chapter 1 and we'll look at some of this and I want to show you uh, some of the things that happened. Uh, this man, Job, he was a great man. And starting with verse 6, it says in Job chapter 1, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Now for a lot of years, it's amazing how I read this book all of my life, and how that there comes a time in your life when you see things differently in the Word of God than you ever saw them before. Now, I know that all of us have had that experience. You know, I know we've had that experience. If you've done any studying of God's Word, you know that's a fact. You know there's been times that you thought something was one thing, and then later on you got revelation and you learned it was something else. So, I used to think this scene was in heaven. But now then, I believe this scene was on earth. It says, Now God, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. I now believe this was an earthly scene instead of a heavenly scene. It says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence cometh thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. So it's obvious where he's at. He is absolutely bound to the earth. And the Lord said unto Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect or good and upright man, one that feareth God 
and avoids evil. Now then, right there is a very good thing for us as people on this earth to realize. We need to strive with everything we can to be a good or perfect, if you want to go as far as the translation there. One of them says perfect. The other one says good. A good or perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and eschews or avoids or shuns evil. Now, that, that's where we, especially the church, that's where we need to strive diligently to walk. It says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for nothing? Hath not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. Now then, because Job feared God and because he did walk good or perfect and because he was an upright man and because he did fear God and shunned evil, what had God done to protect him from Satan? He had built a wall around him. And so by building a wall around him, he couldn't be attacked. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to have that wall built around me. Sometimes that wall's there, and sometimes there's holes in that wall. And I don't, I don't like it when a hole comes in that wall, because I don't like to be tried and tested. But unfortunately, if you're a human being on this earth, God's going to allow you to be tested. Now, this is the part I don't like. But it happens, and it happens to every one of us. Now then he says here, in verse 11, But put forth your hand now, and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. Now number one, who is it talking right there in that verse? That's the devil. That's Satan. Satan is known as the liar. He is known as the one that never tells the truth, that cannot tell the truth, and the truth is not in him, and he is a continuous, habitual liar. But look what happened. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only upon himself put not forth thy hand, now then, God has put a limitation when Satan come, and if you want to call it like it does in the New Testament, when he did this to, to Peter, he had requested to sift Job like wheat, just like he did Peter in the New Testament. I used to wonder why the Lord said, well, I just pray for you that your faith fail not. I'd think, well, Lord, if you're in control of this whole thing, why in the world don't you just say, no, I'm not going to let you do it to him. But let me ask you this question. Working in all the different fields I've worked in in all of my life, I think about the day that I finally found my seat myself in the seat of a DC-8 airplane taking off down the runway for the first time. What had happened before I got in that seat the first time? I can take myself back several years to the first time I sat down in the right seat of a little Cessna 150 with a man that knew the airplane, and I knew virtually nothing about this airplane. He takes off, and we go up to an altitude of about 3,000 feet above the ground, 
And then he shows me what happens. He pulls the stick back and forth, turns right and left, shows me how the rudder pedals work, and I think, well, this looks easy enough. So he says, do you understand how to make this do this? I said, yes. He said, okay, good. He said, try to just fly straight and maintain 3,000 feet of elevation. So I grabbed a hold of this thing with a death grip. You know, I mean, I'm, I got it. And then he says, okay, it's yours. Well, when he turns loose, immediately with my tenseness, I pull a little this way and it goes up like that. Whoop, that's too much. I push it back and I go too much and it goes down a little. And then I finally get stabilized and I think, this wasn't as easy as it looked. I mean, I hadn't learned to relax. I started training. Well, the training, of course, as, I, as he talked to me and told me how things work, slowly but surely, it wasn't but about a half a dozen hours till I'm out there flying that thing around by myself. I thought, wow, is this awesome or is this awesome? Well, a lot of training had happened from the time I got in that seat till I stepped into that seat in that DC-8 running down that runway for a training test the very first flight. A lot of training. Now then, how many of you people, and I'm sure nearly all of you have flown in an airplane before, how many of you, if your pilot came over the PA and he said, you know, I had to get somebody to show me how to turn the PA on. Uh, but the, one of the stewardess had come up here and told me, I want you to know this is my first flight. I have never flown a big airplane in my life, but I'm going to see if I can get us here. I have flown a couple of small single-engine airplanes, but I've never flown uh, a 707 or a 747 or a, a, a DC-8 or whatever you're going in today. But he said, if y'all want to go with me, I'll see if I can get you there. I imagine there's going to be a mass exodus off that airplane. You know, nobody's going. So without training and without trials and tests, you can never learn to overcome or to master anything on this earth. And that's the part most of us don't like. Because I, I spent many a dollar and many an hour of training before I got to where I could fly that airplane comfortably. Well, this is why God allows you and me to be tested. He allows you and me to be tested in many realms to bring us to where He wants us to be. Now, if you're not tested and proven, you can never get there. You cannot become something until you're trained and tested. And I don't know about you, but I don't like the test. I never have liked them, and I never will like them. But I've gone through a lot of them in my life. And I'm still going through new ones. And you think, one day, Lord, I'm finally going to get there. And he says, oh, no. I've got a whole bunch of things for you yet. And I've got a lot more training for you. And so it's not going to never end. So the enemy that's here, the enemy was going to put Job to the test. And he requested from God because, because Job had been upright. He had no legal claim to Job. Now then, this is one of the ways that Satan will intrude into your life. He has no claim to you, but he intrudes anyway. And he comes and requests position, a, a place to come in to do things to us. And unfortunately, God gives him that right to intrude into mine and your life. When he does... You never know how he's going to do this. 
So let's see a few things he did here. When he requested to come in and do the things God told him, okay, he says, The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only upon himself put not forth your hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord, and then there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Now, we don't know how far that was in the future. Maybe only a few days. Maybe a year. Who knows? We don't know. And it says, And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plying and the asses were feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them, and they took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell you. You notice Satan left one person to bring the bad news to you. He don't kill them all. He wants one to come tell you the devastating things. He'll always leave at least one to attack you verbally, to bring it to you. It's amazing. Then he says, And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep. When lightning comes out of the clouds and it strikes a person or burns down a house or burns up a crop, tears up a building. In fact, I had a lightning bolt hit the top of my house, the chimney on my house a few years ago. I was laying in the bed asleep. I think this is about two years ago, two and a half years ago or something. I was literally laying in my bed asleep and there was a storm came up that night and it started lightning and everything. No big deal. You know, it comes a storm every once in a while. I, didn't, I was not uh, moved. I was just laying there. Uh, you know, I was awake, but I was just kind of halfway in between. And all of a sudden, a lightning bolt hit the chimney, the top of the chimney on my house. And the chimney is about six feet wide and about two feet thick. And it's 27 feet tall. And the top three foot of that thing, half of that entire thing, including a complete solid concrete lid on the top of it, it bloated all over the yard and all over the top of the house. When that lightning bolt hit it, it sounded like a bomb went off in my bedroom. I mean, I am only 25 feet from where it hit, down, right straight down and about 15 feet in to where I'm laying in the bed. I'm telling you, it, it, it rocked me. It shot, you know, I mean, I felt that thing. I thought, wow, that was close. I didn't know how close. So immediately I began to rebuke the devil. I said, Satan, you're getting too close to my house. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to stop any kind of lightning bolts or anything like that coming close to my house. Well, I didn't realize I'd done that too late. He had already done that. So the next morning when I got up and started to go to work, I looked up at my house and there's that huge section of my chimney that was missing. Now then, this book says that in the fire from God fell from heaven. What God did that come from? The God of this world. Satan, because when man sinned in the garden, when Satan deceived us, 
we transferred our allegiance from God the Father to Him and we gave Him our dominion over the earth and He became what the Scriptures calls the God of this world, the Prince of the power of the air of this world. And now He has that power and authority to bring that kind of devastation. So being the Prince of the power of the air, He can bring lightning bolts, He can bring storms, He can bring devastating things upon the earth. Because let's look and see what he does here once he gets legal right from God. Not only did the fire from God fall, and it says, And the fire of God is fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in your oldest brother's house, in their oldest brother's house, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, a tornado, a great wind from the wilderness, and has smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, the young men, and they are all dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell you. When Satan is released upon you, which he was here, I'm going to tell you this is a pretty severe test. But Job had to go through this test. God was doing something with Job. And out of this, it allowed the enemy, Satan, to come in and steal everything he had, burn his crops, fire from God, but it was a God of this world, lightning, came down and burned up his sheep and all these things. And then a great wind. Who is it that generated that great wind? Satan. He's the prince of the power of the air. And so we see what Satan's capabilities are to a degree. I, I think that probably very few people really realize why we've had the devastation we've had on the East Coast and off down in the other parts of the country with the hurricanes we've had this season. This has been one of the most devastating years for hurricanes and been a costly time and Tens of thousands of people are without a place to stay and tens of thousands of homes are totally destroyed and tens of billions of dollars. And the thing about it is we have powerful testimonies of people that when they learn who this enemy is on this side of the cross since our Jesus defeated this enemy that we have been given all power and all dominion back over this enemy We've had several testimonies of people that we've done teachings to and have listened to our audio and video tapes that have sent us written documentation of their homes that were in the same areas when their homes took no damage when they rebuked the enemy and command him not to do any damage and they sent the warring angels to watch over their homes and protect them. Homes in front of them, beside them, behind them have been totally devastated in fact, we even had one had a picture, a picture of their house. There was not anything damaged on their house, but yet two or three others around it were nothing left but the slab. 
And the only thing they did was rebuke the enemy, reminded God that they were walking in obedience to His Word, and on this side of the cross, they had power and authority and dominion over the enemy. And their homes took no damage. It's amazing what we can do on this side of the cross. But Satan was on that side of the cross. He didn't have that kind of dominion and power because Satan had not been defeated by our king yet. But we see right here some of the things that Satan can do to you. Not only do a lot of people need a healing in their physical bodies, but a lot of us are like I was most of my life. I had no idea of the many different ways Satan could attack me. But there's multitudes of ways he can attack you. And he's, he's done some good work on me lately. He's really, really deceived me. But I'm now seeing and understanding more of the demonic world and what's going on. And I know God's going to raise me to another level. And I don't like the test. I don't like the test. But the tests are there. Now then, here, Job, this test that Job was put under cost him everything he had. And it says, Then Job arose and tore his clothes and shaved his head and fell down the ground and he worshipped the Lord. In all of this, verse 22 says, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. That's a good thing for us to learn to do right there. Some of us get mad at God and, you know, really say some bad things to God. Well, He's still in control. We need to realize that He's allowing us to be tested. But if you're like me, I'm sure Job didn't enjoy this test either. Do you? I don't think he enjoyed this. So now then... We see that since Satan has got legal claim to the earth from our sin and what we've done, we see that when he went to God, what he was allowed and able to do to destroy him. So not only can he create what we're going to go into in the next set of verses here about healing to your flesh, but he can attack you in many areas besides your flesh. He can attack you. He can destroy your home. He can destroy your children. He can kill them, as we see right here. He can wipe out everything you have financially. He is a beast. So you need to learn about this critter that is still running around on this earth. Now that we're going to see in chapter 2, And again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Now all these people are coming here at a particular place and God shows up and they present themselves to the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, because Satan, Satan has been cast out of heaven. Satan has been bound to the earth. And the scripture says in the book of Revelation that there's no longer place found for him in heaven. But now also I have learned that we have legal right over Satan from the throne of grace I've said a many a time that we just call the devil in because he's standing there at the right hand of Jesus. But I now believe only in the Spirit are we taking authority over him. I believe when we speak it by faith before the throne of grace, Jesus, we know, is in the third heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father. 
We know God the Father is on the throne, but I believe that Satan is bound to the earth. But when we stand before the throne of grace, we, that's the position we have all power and authority over him, and he can't touch us. But I have taught in other seminars that he was right there accusing us, but now I realize that he's on earth, and he's doing everything he can to accuse us. When I read that in Revelation, that really came home to me here a while back when it said, and there was no longer place for him in heaven. So I don't believe anymore that Satan has legal access to the third heaven. I believe that. I, you know, and I'm, so this is fairly new teaching for me. I used to believe he had access to the third heaven, but now I don't believe he does. But anyway, here, Satan is on earth. And the Lord said to Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? Now what a problem. Only one man, perfect and good, in all the earth. And there are bound to have been millions of people. He is a good or a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and shuns evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although you moved me against him to destroy him without cause. If he did that to Job, do you think he's going to do that to you and me? Absolutely, that beast is going to do that. His goal is to destroy you and I. And that's what he's doing. And he's doing it in many ways. And the only way is not through sickness and disease. He causes you to... He causes things to happen to you, to kill you, to destroy you. And sometimes he does it through car wrecks. Sometimes he does it through lightning that burns up things. Sometimes he does it through sickness and disease. But his goal is to steal, kill, and to destroy. That's his goal. But it says here in verse 4, And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Now he knows He knows our weakest part is our skin, our flesh. That's where we're the weakest at. And it says here, he says, uh, Yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. And I've come to realize that's true. That's true. The average person will give everything for their life. It never ceases to amaze me. When I go to a hospital once in a while, and here is I'm going to pray for a man, or it could be a woman, either one. I've had it both ways. And I walk in, and I say, start building their faith. And they say, well, Brother Thurman, I just believe, I believe that this cancer is something that God put on me to show me something. And I said, well, you really believe it come from God? And they say, oh, yeah, I believe God sent this to me. I said, what, then what are you doing in hospital taking all this medicine for? If you believe this thing come from God, then what are you trying to go against God for? Why don't you just go home and die? You know, if you really think this is from God, what are you trying to come against Him for? That has never made any sense to me. You know, that we will think that God is the one doing this to us, and if He's doing it, and if he's the one doing it, there ain't no use in you trying to get well because you ain't going to get well. You just spend all your money and you're going to die anyway. Now then, let's go a little bit further. But 
Put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but save his life. Now, did God allow the devil to do this now? Yes, he did. He allowed this to happen. And still today, he has to allow these things to happen. And if he does not, these things won't happen. Now, this is something that it took me a long time to understand. But one day, I was over at one of our, one of our buildings. I had some big ice machines I needed taken down and transported to another uh, large, uh, one of our facilities in another city. And this young man, about 35 years old, he came in and he was looking at these big uh, boat ice machines I had that I needed to take down. And he, I told him, I said, I need a price to take these things down, repair the ceiling where they come out because they're big, and, and then sh- uh, crate these things up and get them out on the dock ready for me to ship out to another city. And so he's figuring and everything. And as he's doing his figuring, <clears throat> when he gets through, he hands it to me. And I looked at it and I said, well, that looks reasonable. I said, but could I ask you a personal question? He said, sure. I said, are you a Christian? And man, he blew up like a bomb in my face. And I wouldn't even begin to repeat the words that come out of his mouth. Blankety blank, no. I said, well, why are you so mad at God? He said, if there is a God and He's real, where was He when my mother used to beat the H-E-L-L out of me? You know, he said, where was He when all these bad things happened to me? I said, sir, where was your daddy? He said, I didn't have a daddy. I was born out of wedlock. I said, well, sir, I'm going to tell you why these things happened to you. I said, it doesn't sound fair. And I understand this. But I said, here's what you've got to realize. I said, the king of the universe made a set of rules. And he said, if you love me and walk in obedience to my word, I will bless you and your children way into the future. Many generations will I bless you. But he said, if you do not love me and serve me, then I will bring a curse upon you and your children to the fourth generation. Unless you're born out of wedlock, and then I will allow the curse to continue for ten generations. I said, now God made that set of rules. It's not that He doesn't love you. It's not that He didn't love your parents. It's not that He didn't love all of us. But He made a set of rules. I said, are you a married man? He said, yes, I am. I said, do you have children? He said, i got two boys. I said, do you just let those kids do anything they want to do? He said, well, of course not. I said, so why don't you? He said, well, because I, if I let them do anything they want to do, he said, they'd be real hardly hard to control. The time they got to be teenagers, he said, I'd lose them. I said, you're absolutely right. I said, so God made a set of rules. And he made these rules, and he told us exactly what we could do and we could not do. I said, in these rules... He said, if your parents are not willing to serve me and be obedient to obey my commands, then this will allow the enemy to come in and torment you. And I said, your mother used to beat you because she was controlled by an evil spirit. I said, because your parents, her parents, and the other parents, 
because they had sinned and more than likely when you go back even those parents had sinned which had opened the door and first thing you know everybody is controlled by demonic spirits so you're raised up only understanding what you see and you don't understand the spirit world so you're mad at God thinking God could stop this but I said God had made a set of rules if your mother and daddy had been obedient and your grandparents had been obedient to serve God I said this would not have happened to you I said, the devil's the one who did this because he had legal right. I said, if you find a family that they'll be obedient and they'll serve God and do what He says, I said, those kinds of things don't come upon those children. They're not tormented like that. The mothers don't beat the H-E out of them. I said, they're walking in love. But I said, it's totally... He made the rules and He left it up to us. He said, Mr. I ain't never heard such wild things in my life. I said, sir, it's written in the book. It's written in the Word of God. I said, and God is absolutely no respecter of persons. So I said, if we don't obey what this book says, even though we may not know what it says, I said, He still holds us accountable for this book. I said, so you're mad at the wrong person. I said, on this side of the cross, what you need to do today, you need to get mad at the devil you need to repent and come to Christ and get saved. And then, when you do that, He's given you dominion and power over all these curses that have come upon your life. And He paid the price for all of them, and you no longer have to live in that torment. I said, He sent His Son 2,000 years ago to bear your sickness, remove your disease and your pain, and to take care of all of your sins. And He paid the total price for everything. And today, you can come to Jesus, and you can get cleaned up, and you can become a righteous man in the sight of God and you can be blessed and I said you don't have any sickness and disease but I said you will not only every sin you've ever committed be washed and put under the blood but if you had sickness and disease by faith you could be healed he didn't know any of those things he didn't know none of that he said mister I never heard these kind of things I said well sir I'm sorry it's been written in this book for 2,000 years we've got it right here in our hands I said all you got to do is believe it well, that man went out of there today with that day with a totally new outlook on life. He had no idea what was bringing these things. And today, the average person has no idea what's bringing these things into our lives. When we get, when a parent, a set of parents, gets out of touch with God for one or two generations, usually the children that are born out of that then are so far from God. It takes a real evangelist or someone, a neighbor or somebody that really knows God to go sit down with those families one at a time, one-on-one, to bring them back into the kingdom one at a time. And it's a long, hard struggle to do it. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have experienced that and you've tried. In fact, I uh, was reading something just the other day. A lady she said, in our family, things were so bad. And said, my son got off on drugs and alcohol and everything else. And she said, I prayed for him and I prayed for him. And said, he never did change. I could see no change. In fact, she said, I got so upset. One day I finally said, God, I'm just going to give up on my son. And she said, I have only heard God speak one time in my life audibly. And it was when I made that statement. 
Should I give up on my son? And she said, I heard this one word. No! That loud and that clear. She said, wow, did it shake me. I'm not supposed to give up. She said, I didn't give up because of that one word spoken so bold and so authoritatively. I continued to pray over and rebuke the devil over my son. And she said, I want you to know today my son is 50 years old and he's a preacher of a church. Now, what if that mother had to give up back yonder? Guess who it was that wanted her to give up? The devil. I won't ask you to hold up your hand, but has there any of you ever come to a time in your life when you thought, I want to give up? I want to just... (laughs) Somebody yells your heads up anyway. I think every human being has experienced that in your life. I don't care who you are. You've experienced a time in your life, either the devil has so afflicted you in some area like sickness and disease... The last healing school we had here, or the one before this one, I guess it was, when Miss Emily Dodson was here, you, some of you that might have been here, you heard her say that at 53, 54 years of age, when the devil come upon her, now then for the 14th time in her 53 years, she had already had 13 surgeries in 53 years. A good woman, a woman that went to church, a woman that served God. But she had no idea who the enemy was. She was raised up in a good denominational church that supposedly loved God, just like I was. But she had no idea who the enemy was. She had no idea these things that we're talking about today. And so the enemy had tormented this woman and afflicted her, and she had had 13 surgeries in her first 53 years of life. And now then she's 53, and she comes down with another serious illness, and she goes in and has it checked and finds out it's lupus, of which there is no cure. And she can do one more surgery, which might extend her life maybe six months, but she's going to die anyway. She says, no, I'm just going to go home and die. So she gave up. And she goes home, and some little preacher comes by and tells her, you have a choice on this side of the cross. You don't have to yield to this beast, the devil. So she didn't know that. So they gave her a couple of scriptures, she said. And she began to fight the enemy with those two scriptures. Well, sometimes two scriptures are if your sword is only this long. When you pull your sword out and it's only a little bitty short knife, you can't do a whole lot of damage to your enemy. And every time I tell that, I think about this story in this movie I saw years ago. Some of you probably saw this. But one night I came in and there was a television movie on and I just happened to sit down and watch. This has been years and years and years ago. I sat down there and I began to see this and it was interesting because it was some guy that talked funny. You know, he had this Australian accent. And this guy was walking down the streets of New York with a woman. And some guy in the busy streets of New York walks up to him and this woman and pulls out a pocket knife about that long and says, Give me your money. And this woman says, ah, give him our money. The guy says, no, I'm not giving him our money. He says, she said, he's got a knife. He said, you call that a knife? This guy was raised in the backwoods of Australia. He reaches down his side in somewhere here and pulls out a sword, a knife had a blade on it about that long. He said, that's not a knife. This is a knife. And when he pulled it out, the little guy did the little knife. He turned and run. 
So when he turned and run, the guy reached over to get one of the cans of groceries and he threw it and hit him in the head and knocked him out. See? Now then see, that's the way we are as Christians. When we reach down to pull our sword out, which is a word, she had two scriptures. Her knife is little bitty and short. So she was not able to do a whole lot of damage to the enemy. Now see, if you pull your sword out and you got the Word of God hidden in your heart, like this little guy that came up. Now Satan doesn't even have that big of a knife. He is totally disarmed on this side of the cross. Totally disarmed. He has no weapons at all. None. Only deceit and bluff. But at least this guy had a little pocket knife three or four inches long. And it scared this woman. But whenever you take a man that's been raised up in the backwoods of Australia and he's got a knife that's a foot long, that little tiny pocket knife don't mean much to him. So if the devil comes up to you and starts putting something on you, regardless of what it is, attacking you anywhere, we've got to remember if we reach down and pull out our sword, which is the Word of God, and if this thing is long and sharp, you've got lots of Scriptures hidden in your heart, if you will remember that, and you'll capture every thought that comes to your mind and cast down the thought instead of acting on the thought, you'll be able to overcome the enemy every time. If you don't, he'll overcome you every time. He's really good at what he does. Really good. So you've got to learn who this beast is and that we're talking about here in Job. Now then, when he came to the Lord and he got legal right, and it says then that uh, he, he would curse you to her face... And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but save his life. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord, and he smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown of his head. Now these boils that come upon him, where did they come from? The devil. Satan put these things on there. Now then, what if you just say, Well, but I don't have a sore on my body, or I don't have sickness and disease in my body, but I've got a damaged part of my body where I fell or I did something like this. Well, we have a lady in our presence today that that happened to her just a couple of years ago. She fell in, I think it was the bathroom or some part of the house, and when she fell, she hit her head. Now then, if the enemy tripped you up, and I believe with all my heart these things happen from the enemy. I don't believe there's no such thing as an accident. I believe when we slip or we fall or we do anything, it's a devil sent a demon in to trip us. And this demon, they come into our house. They put things in the wrong place, a right place for them and wrong place for us. They do all kinds of things to intrude to cause stealing, killing, and destroying. So if they come in and do something that will cause you to slip and fall, like it did this precious lady, she slipped and fell and she hit her head. Well, she was virtually immobile. She couldn't hardly do anything. Uh, They went to the doctor, of course, did all kinds of things. The doctors couldn't find the problem, but she couldn't do anything. Well, knowing this is the enemy, and in this case, I believe with all my heart, he was intruding where he had no legal right Now, I don't know all the details, but I believe with all my heart this family had their sins repented of and confessed. They were walking in obedience to God's Word in every way they knew. But still, they were going to be allowed to be put to the test. Nobody likes a test. But anyway, God knew that without this test and without this overcoming, 
they could never get to where he wanted them to be. So he allowed the enemy to do what he did to get this precious lady to trip and fall and hit her head. Well, she was down for several weeks. I think about six or whatever it was. Anyway, they were praying and asking the Lord, what are we going to do? So somehow the Lord revealed to them through a teaching videotape that I had made with a man that worked with this man. And when he was talking with them about it at work, he allowed, he brought this tape and gave it to this man or something and he took it home and he looked at it or whatever. And then he came to where my church is in North Dallas and he listened to me one Sunday afternoon and then he came up and asked me to pray for his wife. Well, my first question was, is all your sins repented and confessed? And he said, yes. And I asked him, you know, no unforgiveness, no nothing in yours or your wife's life or nothing, and you all are walking in a love relationship one to the other? He said, yes. I said, okay. If you meet all that criteria, I said, Jesus is a healer. I am not. But I said, He knows your heart. I said, so if you have all of your sins confessed, we will come to this magnificent promise that Jesus made us on this side of the cross. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, Jesus made you a promise. He said, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. Is that an awesome promise? That's for His obedient children that believe Him. Now, can you be walking in total obedience and still not get an answer from God? Yes, you can. Why? The major reason is unbelief. Somebody says, well, I know God said that, but I hope He will do that for me. There's no faith in that. That will not move the hand of God. You must know that if He made that promise, you must believe it's done with no doubt in your heart. Because just think, now what if, what if Jesus made this promise to you? He said, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for as my obedient children, he's talking to, he's always in all of his promises talking to his obedient children. Those that are doing their best to walk in obedience to his word, that have their sins repented of. Now he also says that if you hide iniquity in your heart, in Psalm 66, 18, he said, I will not hear your prayer. So, if you say, well, let's come over and pray, and, and the guy says, well, I'm not going to tell Thurman, but I'm stealing from my workplace every day. I mean, the prayer wouldn't have worked. He, he would have been hiding iniquity in his heart. So, if I had been hiding iniquity in my heart, it wouldn't have worked. But we both, that day, had all of our sins confessed, repented of, and walking in obedience to the Word. We prayed the prayer of faith, Matthew eighteen nineteen, for his wife that day. She was at home. We prayed the prayer of faith because she wanted to come to church that day, but she couldn't. She tried to get dressed and couldn't. I mean, she just fell back on the bed, and I, I forget. She was many, many, many hours a day, like 18 or 19 or 20 hours a day, she had to stay in bed. She couldn't hardly get up but more than a few minutes, and she just became woozy and couldn't stand. So she had to have some kind of relief, but who is the one that's going to solve her problem? It's God once she believes His promises. So, 
she was at home with her little son. She couldn't come to church. Her husband came to church and we prayed the prayer of faith for his wife and with his sins repented of, her sins repented of, my sins repented of, we took Matthew eighteen nineteen. We stood on that promise. Now then, if, we, if I had said, you know, I don't know what God will do for you, but I hope or maybe based around that promise, He might accidentally do something for your wife. And too many of us make those kind of statements. I used to do that. But when I did that, I never saw God answer a prayer. Never. And then I found this magnificent statement in James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 one day. James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, Jesus said, When you ask me, you must ask in faith. Nothing wavering. How much can waver? Nothing. Now, if you want to check me out, you turn to James 1, 6 and 7... And you read that and you're going to find that Jesus said, but ask in faith, nothing wavering. Because He said, if you waver on My promises, He said, you're double-minded and unstable in all of your ways and let that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Especially when He made you this promise in Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Now then, if he made the promise in Matthew 18, 19, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. And then he goes over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, and he says, Now, all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen every time. So if you're a believer in Jesus, you're a child of God, and you're walking in obedience to His Word, and you have your sins confessed, how many times does He promise to do what you ask Him to do? Every time. Isn't that amazing? Every time. Now, of course, that's within the context of being obedient to God and asking things that are in accordance with His will. Like, for instance, the other day, when I say that, a lady walked into my church in Dallas just a few months ago. She said, are you a Thurman Scrivener? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, my mother heard you on the radio. And said, she told me to come down here and you prayed. You said in Matthew eighteen nineteen that if two of us on earth agreed about anything, God would do it. I said, yes, ma'am. That's what he says. He said, my mother sent me down here today and told me to have you pray the prayer of faith with me as to that she will win the lottery this next week. I said, ma'am, I'm sorry, but you're not supposed to gamble. You know, I said, so that's not in accordance with God's will. So I can't pray the prayer of faith for you and ask your mother. I said, now if you want your mother to be blessed, tell her to stop giving her money to the state through the lottery and start giving it to the poor and needy and start standing on God's Word. And I said, she'll come out with a whole lot more money because God said, if you give to the poor and needy, you're loaning to me and I'll return it with good interest. And I said, chances are you'll never win the lottery. So, so you see how you have to be careful as a preacher what you say. I can quote God's Word on the radio and people can misunderstand what I say. They misinterpret what I say. But yet I'm speaking it right out of God's Word. <clears throat> Isn't that amazing? You know, it really doesn't take a very good Christian to know that it's not God's will for you to play the lottery. But I wonder how many Christians every day go down and buy tickets, or not every day, but once a week or once a month or whatever. How many Christians... And I'm not going to ask you to say because I don't even want you to tell me, but <clears throat> it never ceases to amaze me 
the people that, that are Christians that do buy lottery tickets. I mean, I never bought one in my life. I wouldn't, I wouldn't waste a dollar on a lottery ticket. I had, you know, I, I, it's amazing. I stopped down here at the little gas station the other day. I was buying a few dollars worth of gas for my tractor. I went in there to pay for it. And there's a guy bought some kind of tickets. They were lotteries or some kind. I don't know what they were. But he scraped a deal off of them or something or pulled a deal or what it was and looked at a number. He'd just give them $5 or whatever or $10 for those things, $5 a piece or whatever. Pulled it off, looked at it, he wadded it up and threw them in the trash and walked out. I thought, wow. I said, he, he could have wadded up them $5 and throwed them to me. I could have done something with those things. You know, but he literally, the same thing, there's no difference if you'd have just wadded those $5 bills up and just throwed them in a trash can. Well, that's what he'd done. But he was hoping that he'd win something there. But he didn't. But see, people are hoping. But hoping very rarely ever brings anything to you, even in the world. But in God's world, it don't never bring nothing to you. But faith does. Now, if Jesus said that if two of you on earth agree about anything, I will do it. Well, that day... After I asked this gentleman, did he have all of his sins repented of and his wife have her sins repented of and did they believe God's Word? He said, yes, sir, I do. He said, we do. I said, okay. Then I'm going to take the prayer of agreement between you and I and we're going to pray over your wife, which is home in bed. We're going to ask the Father in the name of Jesus to heal his daughter. Now then, see, since Jesus healed her and you and me in the atonement on the cross... Actually, before He went to the cross, He bore our sickness and removed our disease by the beating He took because He said, by His stripes we were healed. So I feel like I'm on pretty safe ground if Jesus has already done it. And then He made me a promise for healing. I feel like I can agree with her husband that the Lord will heal her since He's already done it 2,000 years ago and paid the price. So if He's already paid the price and it's done, then we got to receive from Him by faith, what already belongs to this precious daughter of the king. So we prayed the prayer of faith. <clears throat> and then we don't never forget to thank the Lord that she's healed. Lord, we pray the prayer of faith and we thank you that you've healed your daughter. And then I said, now, sir, you need to go home and tell your wife to get up and do something she couldn't do before because she's no longer sick. You've got to believe these promises. You've got to act on these promises. So, what I didn't know there while we were praying, their little son, which was three or four years old at the time, he was there at home with Mother. Now, he knows Mother can't get up and do anything. But he comes in and says, Mother, let's go for a walk. Now, isn't that amazing? God sent this little boy in to a mother that knows she can't get up and go nowhere. She's been down for six weeks or so. And he said, Mother, let's go for a walk. And so Mother gets up, feels very good, goes outside, walks down across their land, over to the back fence where some horses are, and then all of a sudden she realizes she's healed. Ain't nothing wrong with her. And the Lord started something in their life that totally changed their life, and that couple has become a completely new set of believers from that day. And that woman today and that man today and their children can pray their prayer of faith for people. And the other day, this lady told me in church, 
She said, it's amazing, Thurman. I'm having so many people call me and I'm talking to them and I'm showing them what the Word says and getting them to repent of their sins and I'm praying the prayer of faith for them and now my list of prayer uh, answers to prayer is getting so long I can't even remember all of them anymore. And I thought, what a problem to have. What a problem to have. Now, if this lady hadn't gone through this test, she would have never got to that point. Did her or her husband or their children like that six-week test? No. But was it worth it, Lori? Yes, she's sitting right here on the front row. It has brought her to an entirely new level with God. And it has blessed our ministry immensely. I couldn't even begin to tell you what her and her husband and her children do for our ministry. But they're constantly working in our ministry, helping us do things. And Lori prays for so many people and answers so many people's problems and has so many praise reports. I think, Lord, how awesome you are. But during the time of their six weeks test, they didn't want this to be there. Mama was immobile. Daddy sure didn't want it because Mama's not able to cook or fix and he's not only having to take care of her, but he's having to take care of all these kids. Daddy's got a real problem. We don't enjoy those tests. None of us do. And I don't understand why that Lori and James had to go through the test for about six weeks. And then, of course, as they come back up and she was healed, their test of faith is still not over. The Lord is still aligning to be tested in other areas, just like He is you and me. Because when we get up that mountain of test, we think, Lord, I can't go no more. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> there is the answer. And you think, hey, this is over. This is great. I can coast downhill a little bit now. But you coast downhill just a little bit, and all of a sudden you hit the bottom right there, and you look up, and there's one twice as tall as the one on the other side. I don't like those tests. But get used to it. They're going to be there. If the devil constantly tested Jesus when he was here, He's going to test you and me. So all I can say, when the devil came against Job and he attacked him with these boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, every time I think about these boils, I think about little Cody. Cody's mother, <coughs> after Cody come and got healed about three years ago, two or three years ago, when Cody got healed, a little bitty tiny guy, six years of age, he learned that day in a healing school his power and dominion as a child of God over the devil. Now then, this problem that Lori had, I believe with all my heart, was caused by the devil. I believe he caused her to fall, but when he hit her head, it caused something to be jarred out of place in her head. And when things were not in the right place, you become immobile or you can't do anything. But now then, when you pray the prayer of faith... The Holy Spirit goes back in and puts everything back where it's supposed to be. And she's healed. And she's been healed ever since. But little Cody, he learned that the enemy, which is Satan, is the one that causes sickness and disease. Because just like on Job, who brought the boils upon Job? Satan. Satan or one of his demons. Well, when little Cody learned this, after he got miraculously healed from his eating problem he'd had for six years... And all I did was rebuke a demon in him, <clears throat> commanded the devil to leave him and to be healed in the name of Jesus. And I told him, I said, now, Jody, you got, Cody, you've got to believe God's Word. He said, what do you mean? I said, do you take medicine? He said, oh, yeah, every time I eat. I said, you don't need it no more. 
And little Cody goes home that night and his mother has him eat supper and she said, now Cody, it's time to take your medicine. He said, no mother, I don't need it. Jesus has healed me. He promised in His Word. And she said, look Cody, I've been cleaning up vomit for six years when you don't take your medicine. If you don't take this medicine tonight, if you get sick after you eat, I'm going to give you a spanking. Now see, he's got all kinds of problems here, doesn't he? He's got some trials and tests, but guess who he's going to tell? He's going to trust. He said, Mama, that's okay. I'm going to trust Jesus. And so he had supper that night, or dinner that night, whatever you want to call it, and he didn't get sick. And he ate everything he wanted for the next several months, and he never got sick again. And then one day, Chuck and Irene and Cody came to another healing school, and she came up and told the testimony. Cody wanted to tell his testimony, so he came up and stood in a chair, a little tiny guy, and told about what Jesus did for him. He could eat anything. <clears throat> and then his mother said, well, <clears throat> i got to tell you about Cody's faith. She said, since he's been to the healing school and he learned his power and authority as a child of God over the devil, now it makes no difference he's a little seven-year-old boy. If he is a child of God in the spirit world, how big is he? As big as any of us. It makes no difference. So she's, Irene says, I woke up one morning and I come in and I look on my side here and here's a great big boil with a great big yellow thing in the middle of it. And so she said, the next morning I wake up and there's two of those things there. Now who is it that's putting her to the test? That same devil that put Job to the test. Same one. Same group of demons. And so what did, you, what did the devil say a man would give for his skin? Anything. So... She immediately runs in and contacts the doctor. Now, she'd been to a healing school a few months before. She heard the same thing her son heard. Only he's six or seven years old, and she's a grown woman. So now then, when she makes the phone call, little Cody comes up and says, Mother, what did you did you call the doctor? She said, Yeah, son. Why? Well, son, look at under my blouse here. Look at these two big old things I got on my side. He said, Mother... Don't you remember Jesus told us in the Word that that's just the devil and Jesus gave us all power and authority over the devil when He defeated him on the cross 2,000 years ago. He said, that just blew me away. He remembered all that. So he said, Mama, I, that devil ain't going to have you. You're my mama. Now, here's a little boy that loves his mama. So he reaches up and put his hands on them things on his mama's side and he said, you devil of hell, you ain't having my mama. You coming out of her in the name of Jesus. Now see, here's a little boy that loves his mother. Here's a little boy that knows what the Word of God says about his power and authority, but yet his mother and his daddy was here at the same healing school he was. They heard the same thing he heard. But one difference. He believed it. They didn't. So instead of going to God, when the devil comes upon our skin, immediately we go to the doctor. But little Cody cast those devils out of his mother... And she said, in one hour, those boils was less than half the size they were. She said, I could see them going away. So she said, I called and canceled my doctor's appointment. said, I don't need it. And she said, the next morning when I woke up, there was absolutely not a sign of a boil on my side. Both of them were completely gone. Now, here in the book of Job, who was putting this on Job? The devil. Who puts these things on us today? The devil, the same devil. Now then, 
if that devil can put sickness and disease upon your flesh, just like it says here, somebody says, well, that's boils. Maybe he don't put all sickness and disease upon you. Well, let's go to Acts 10.38 in the New Testament. Go over to the book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 38, and let's see what the Word of God says in Acts 10.38. Let's see what Luke has to say about this as he's writing this gospel. In verse 38 it says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. What do you anoint him with? The Holy Ghost and with power. So that's obviously what we need today in the church. We need the Holy Ghost and power. But God had anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and power, and he who went about doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now then, if we seek God today and ask Him to anoint us with the Holy Ghost and power, and we go about doing good, we will be able to cast out these devils and heal the sick just like Jesus did. Because where is Jesus today? What we think about is, well, Jesus went back to heaven 2,000 years ago. Well, that's what the book says. Jesus went back to heaven. But Colossians 1.27 says this is the mystery that was hidden before the foundations of the world. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if Christ is in you and He's in me, then when we walk and do good and say things in faith in the name of Jesus, what happens? The same thing when Jesus was here. This was one of the most difficult things for me to comprehend that Christ in me, the hope of glory, that I have been given power in the name of Jesus over the forces of darkness and Jesus does not have to be here like He was 2,000 years ago because 2,000 years ago, Jesus as a man, anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, when He commanded a demon to come out of somebody, what did that demon do? He came out. Now then, He came out because Jesus was the first and only righteous man that ever been on the earth in the last 4,000 years. He was the only man that had power and authority over the devil. Nobody else had power and authority over the devil because we belong to the devil. But whenever Jesus came, He defeated the forces of darkness. And after defeating the forces of darkness, He gave that power and authority to you and I. Now then, if Jesus gave that power and authority to you and I, let's go back to Luke chapter 10. Let's go back a few pages from the book of uh, Acts. Let's go back to uh, Luke 10. And let's see what kind of power Jesus gave us, the church. Luke 10, verse 18, first says, And Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. 
So since he beheld him fall from heaven, guess who grabbed him by the nap of the neck and kicked him out of heaven? Jesus did. He was the winner. And now Jesus is in the form of a man walking on the earth. And he was a man, just exactly like you and I are today. Jesus. And Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power. Who's he give that power to? You and me. He said, I give unto you power to tread or trample on the serpent, which is Satan, and his scorpions or his demons, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, if Jesus gave you and me that kind of power over the devil, why do we let the devil beat up on us so many times? Because we fail to realize the invisible world that Satan lives in, and he comes in to torment us. He comes in to bring the winds and tear down the buildings. He comes in to bring the lightning from heaven to burn up our crops and kill our sheep or our children or us. He brings in the Sabaeans from outside and they come in and ravage our homes or steal from us or burn our cars or do anything they want to do and we don't do anything about it except get mad at the people. We don't realize who the enemy is. And it's very easy to forget the invisible enemy you can't see. It's a whole lot easier to attack the visible person you can see than it is to attack the enemy you can't see. Do any of you understand where I'm coming from there? It is so easy to attack flesh and blood because you can see them. It is so easy to attack the tangible, visible world that you and I live in because we live there with our five physical senses. But you have to realize this sixth place, the realm of faith, the invisible world that Satan lives in, that you and I as Christians have been given all power over this beast. He's the one that brings sickness and disease. He's the one that comes to torment us. He's the one that comes to steal from us. Then he says here, and after he says, and nothing shall by any means hurt you, notwithstanding, or nevertheless, in this rejoice not, that the evil spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. To those that, how do you get your name written in heaven? You accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Is there any other way to get your name written in heaven? Not a single way. Nothing you can do. No organization you can belong to. No other church can you join. You can't be all these other type of organizations out there that profess to be a little bit of God or to be whatever. You cannot join those organizations if they're not standing on the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one and only living God. Now then, if they stand on that, Jesus Christ, the one and only, the Son of God, that came and paid the price for your sins, that since the Father sent Him to hell. And I had somebody call me the other day and said, I heard you on a radio show and you said that Jesus went to hell. I said, yes, sir, He did. He said, no way, Jesus never went to hell. 
I said, well, Psalms 88 clearly describes it, but I said in the book of Acts, it said he did not leave his soul in hell. So I said, if he didn't leave it in hell, then as far as I'm concerned, he had to get there to not leave it in hell. Did I misunderstand that? Or do you think if, if he didn't leave his soul in hell, how did he not leave it there if it wasn't there? Well, I believe it was there. I believe if Jesus, and the man really got angry at me, and I told him, I said, Sir, I'm sorry. I, I, this is what the Word says. And I have to stand on it. <clears throat> he said, I don't believe that. I said, Okay, sir. If you don't believe that, I said, Are you a born again Christian? He said, I definitely am a Christian. I said, Okay. Then let me just ask this for you. I said, Do you believe Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for all of your sins? He said, Well, of course. I said, Okay. And it says, And the wrath of God was poured out of Him so that you won't have to undergo what was supposed to be destined for you in hell. I said, So if Jesus didn't go to hell and He didn't pay the price that was paid, that was desired, or that was required by God, then that means when you die, you're going to have to go there and you're going to have to pay your price for your, what you've done. And He never did believe that. So I'm going to tell you what. I have come to realize that I don't care who you are, what you do, in the church or out of the church, you can't please everybody all the time. You know where I'm coming from? So you have to do the best you can, right? You do the best you can. Now, then, But if Jesus made this statement, I was really, really raked over the coals the other night and given a tape that was come from a radio show that another man did that he talked about me pretty intensely on it. And then that title on the tape was Truth or Lies. And the man sat down with me the other night with Cheryl, my wife. We was going to go to dinner the other night after church. And he sat down with us and he said, Thurman, what you're teaching is a lie. I said, how do you believe that? He said, you're teaching that you don't need Jesus you have power to cast out devils yourself. I said, well, Christ in me, the hope of glory, but I can't find anywhere in the Word where Jesus cast a demon out Himself anyway other than except by the Holy Ghost that was in Him. And He spoke, and He didn't use nobody's name. He just commanded the demons to come out, and they did. But I said, then Jesus totally turned and left me and said, Behold, I give unto you power, and these signs shall follow those that believe, which I am a believer. Jesus said, In my name you shall drive out devils. He didn't say he would. He said, In my name, the name of Jesus, you, James, John, J.C., Cheryl, Lori, James, you shall take my name and you shall drive out devils. And then he says, and you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I said, so I believe with all my heart the Word of God like it's written. No, I don't have Jesus standing here beside me in a physical form. <clears throat> he went back to heaven. But His Holy Spirit is in me. Christ in me the hope of glory. So the Spirit of Christ is in me, and if you're a believer, it's in you. And so once I take that name and I speak that name, 
And since, like I, I prayed for a man up here in Justin here several years ago that had cancer, and the man was miraculously healed. <clears throat> he had been to the doctor already. He was a member of the church I was associated with, which we don't teach healing. So this man had been a member of the church for years. He didn't know these things. He went and had surgery, and they found out they couldn't get it all. And so they didn't know what they was going to do. So I took an afternoon and went over to their home and spent four or five hours with him and his wife and explained to them what I had learned about God's Word. I built their faith, and we prayed the prayer of faith over him. And God healed that man. When he went back to the doctor for a check, they said, We don't understand. There's no cancer left. We didn't get it all. But there's not any left. It's gone. Well, then he come to me and he says, uh, Thurman, I went back to the doctor this last week and he said, they checked me and there's no cancer left. He said, the Word of God does say that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. He said, I just wished I could be righteous. Now, what's his problem? Why can't he get his prayer answered? Technically speaking, is he righteous or is he not righteous if he's the Son of God? Let me ask you this question. I'm going to ask you, and I want you to hold up your hand. How many of you believe beyond a shadow of a doubt you are as righteous as God? Now then, let me share something with you. If you don't believe you're as righteous as God, the devil has deceived you. The devil has deceived you. I want you to turn to a scripture... And I want to show you what the Word of God says here. 2 Corinthians 5. This was my problem most of my life. I did not know who I was in Christ. I kept thinking I was a worthless sinner. <clears throat> Second Corinthians five seventeen we'll start off with. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Now that if man means person, man or woman. If you or I are a man or a woman and we're in Christ, we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we become a new creature. Now, the new creature is the spirit person which has been made alive. So now then, if we've been made alive with Christ, He says you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. All Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God. Now, who's done all this? God. You didn't have nothing to do with it except just believe. And all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the one that's done the whole thing. The Father is at work. And it says, And has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given this ministry of reconciliation to you and I. What is it? To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing or not counting their trespasses against them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, if God's not holding the sins against men at this point, then what's the use of getting saved? If God is not holding your sins against you, what is the, what's the benefit of getting saved? 
Well, you're lost and you're still a child of the devil and you're walling around out here in the pig pen of hell. But Jesus is not holding your sins against you. But what if you, while you're living in that, you get in your car and start down the road and you get run over by a truck and you get killed. And now then, it's over on earth. Now you're going to have to be accountable because you just died. Now He's going to hold you accountable for your sins. And when He looks at you and says, Oh, you're a filthy piece of junk. Where's He going to cast you? Into that place of fiery torment. But until that point, He was not counting your sins against you. What if five minutes before you or I walked up out here and let's say that a man was standing out there and I said, Do you know Jesus, sir? He says, No, I don't know Him. I've lived, you know, I've been mean, I've been wicked, I've done all this, I'm too mean. There ain't no way Jesus could forgive me for all I've done. I said, what if, what if I were to tell you as a minister or an ambassador of Christ that Jesus is not even holding your sins against you at this point? He said, what? I said, yeah, He's not even holding them against you. He said, that can't be true. I said, yeah, this is the ministry of reconciliation that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. And at this point, He's not even holding your sins against you. He don't even know what you've done right now. I said, so all you've got to do is say, Jesus, I want you as my Lord and my Savior. And He'll immediately save you and justify you and wash you in the blood and you'll never know you ever sinned. And the guy said, it can't be that simple. I said, it's that simple. He said, well, good grief then. Yes, I want to make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. And so you pray the prayer of faith for him, and the guy gets saved. Wow, he's happy. Now that he goes out there and runs down the road, now the 18-wheeler runs over him. And he gets killed. Where's he going to go? He's going to go to heaven. The ministry of reconciliation has been given to you and I. If we don't present this to people and they die and not, go, not know this, although God is in Christ reconciling the world to Himself and not even holding man's sins against him. If you die in your sins, then you will be judged and cast into hell. But if you can get saved at any time, regardless of how bad you are, and who's going to get those people saved? You and me. We're going to go out there and present this gospel to them, telling them we are ambassadors for Christ, coming to tell you that God's not holding your sins against you at this point. He wants you to just come into His kingdom. He'll take you out of the miry pit of hell. I mean, I can't fathom this, that I could take a little pig. I mean, let's say I have a, a, a kitchen, and let's say this kitchen is gold and jewels and pearls, and it's beautiful. And I go outside there somewhere, and here is the muddiest, nastiest, foulest water stinking water. I mean, it's the sewers running into this thing. And here's a little pig fella and this stuff. He's just wallowing around in there. He's having a good time. And you walk out in that and you reach out and get that little pig out of that stinky stuff and you bring him over here and you take him into your sink and your kitchen for that pearls and jewels and you're going to wash the crud off of him so he'll be clean so he can live in that place. That's what Jesus does to you and me. He says, I go out there and get you out of the kingdom of hell and I translate you from there over into the kingdom of light and I wash you and justify you and make you just as if you had never sinned in your life. And then he says, let's go ahead and see what he says there. Now that we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ did, be ye reconciled to God for He hath made Him 
Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So when you see yourself as the righteousness of God in Christ, you can see yourself as a child of God, as righteous as God Himself, because He said you are. Now when you see yourself as righteous as God, then you can hold your head high and walk and say, Devil, you can't touch me. Ain't no way you can touch me. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Yeah, I used to live out there in the slop in the pig pen of the world. Yep, I've done all those things. But when I called on Jesus, He reached right out there and He picked me up and delivered me from the kingdom of hell and translated me right over and dropped me in that kitchen of pearls and jewels. And somewhere between there and there, I was made the righteousness of God in Christ. So when He dropped me in that room, I became just as if I had never sinned and this is my new home. And I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am as righteous as God Himself. And did I have anything at all to do with that according to the Word? All I had to do is believe Jesus. That's all I had to do is believe Jesus. If you go through life believing that you cannot and are not the righteousness of God in Christ, every time the devil comes to you to try to get you to fall, you will fall every time. Every time. You've got to remember who you are. And let me tell you, that's difficult. That is very difficult. That's why the Lord says you have to study the Word every day. You can't just do it once in a while. You have to do it every day. But when you realize that He has made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now then, let me ask you this question again. Regardless of where you've lived, if you're a born-again believer, how many of you believe you're as righteous as God Himself? I do. When you believe what the Scripture says about yourself, you can do what this young lady... I was trying my best to explain these things to some people at church the other day and that we needed to learn who we are in Christ and that all things are ours in Christ and nothing is impossible with us in Christ because these are things the Scripture says. We have been given all power and authority over the devil. I said the devil will intrude into your mind and make you think you're a nobody. Oh, you can't do this. Or he'll put fear in there. And I said, he'll torment you as long as you allow him to. But I said, if you'll act upon that, you'll capture those thoughts, cast those thoughts out, and say, in Jesus Christ, I can do everything. Nothing's impossible with me because I'm a son or a daughter of the King of the universe. And a lady come back the next Sunday. She said, that new bridge they built on, on the 75, that burger must be 100 feet tall. Wow, is it tall. The one that goes up and way over and comes back down into 75 North. It goes over several lanes of road, so it's big. She said, I've always been afraid of heights, and I could never. I had to go around, way around. It took me a long time to get back around where I could get on 75 and go north, because that's where I live. But she's after listening to you talk the other day. I'm driving down that road, and I thought, you know, everything Thurman said today is what Jesus said in that book. So she said, I'm a daughter of the king. Devil, you ain't doing this to me no more. She said, this spirit of fear in the name of Jesus, get out. You're not doing this to me no more. She said, I can do all things through Christ what strengthens me. 
And she said, I just went right up on that ramp. I went right over the top of that thing. I went right around and came down the other side and pulled back on the freeway. And she said, I mastered that thing. Now, who gave her that power to do that? Jesus did. But did she have to act on that power? Yes, she did. The king of the universe defeated the forces of darkness 2,000 years ago. He defeated him in sin, sickness, and everything. And anything you need, he's given you the answer for. But you have to act on it in faith, believing, and then it will come to pass. We're going to take about a 15 or 20 minute break. Before we do that, we're going to take the offering. Joshua, we take an offering during the healing school. If you would like to bless our ministry, if you want to give a check, write it TLSM. Uh, That's the way you make it. If you want to give cash, we've got some envelopes. They'll hand them out to you. If you want a receipt, be sure and put your name and address, please. And, and, well, it would be nice if you put a telephone number on there, but at least your full name and address. Don't put uh, Jack uh, in the mesquite. I can't find you. I have trouble trying to get your receipt to you, and I have had people do that, so I'm sorry if you've done that. Elaine, she does the best she can. Sometimes I give her just a few little bits and pieces or maybe just a part of an address, and she'll go into the uh, zip codes and all kinds of stuff, and she'll do everything. And sometimes she can find those people's address and some not. Uh, oh, Also, these, uh, the CDs that Cheryl's making, one of the songs she sang a while ago is uh, one of the five that we have on the CD. Huh? Oh, that one's not on there? Okay. I'm sorry, I thought it was. But anyway, she's made... Uh, it won't be long we'll have all ten of these songs on there. But anyway, there is CDs over there that she has uh, written the music, recorded them, and her and her daughter Christy have put these together. And these songs are songs that are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And uh, she has uh, written those things as well as sing those things with her daughter. And uh, uh, they, and they're free. Oh, yeah, we give everything away. So also, as on the break, if you want to go over there and get you a music CD, we also... I don't know, maybe we have the tapes over there too? Yeah, we got tapes. So if you need a... a uh, cassette tape of the music, we have that too. Uh, we have, uh, uh, oh, also, yeah, Lori gave me a little note here. It says tape of the month. Are they back here? We've got a sign-up sheet back here. If you would like to be on our tape of the month, we make many tapes a month, but we pick Joshua, Lori, or somebody picks one of the 90-minute or one of the 122-minute teachings that we do and send those out to you free and postpaid. So if you would like to be on that list, there's a place back there to sign up for tape of the month. So, are we ready to take the offering? Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, bless the gift and the giver. In Jesus' name, amen. Ken, I had an a email from a person, a woman, this last week, and she said, I will have to say, she said, as I listen to your tapes and your teaching, she said, when you said, take the promises that God made and stand on them with no doubt in your heart and watch Him do these things, she said, that's got to be an original. I've never heard anybody say, take a promise God made, stand on it. She said, so I just never thought about this. And I thought, well, welcome to the crowd. I didn't know how to do that either for most of my life. But uh, if God made the promise and He can't lie, I feel like He meant for me to stand on them, don't you? And so that's what I've started doing and... Uh, By standing on those promises, I sure get to see Him do some wonderful things. And that's the good part. See Him do some wonderful things. Just like Lori that was sitting up here on the front row a while ago when her husband James and I 
We stood on Matthew 18:19 for her, and she was virtually instantly healed. It's amazing. We've seen God do many of those things. Uh, of course, He's the boss. You know, He's the head of the church. He's the healer. He's the Savior. He's the deliverer. I just pray the prayer of praise for people, and He knows what's in their heart. You know, He knows whether they're really standing in faith, believing or not. And, of course, that's kind of like uh, we say we're walking in faith. And then the other day I was listening to a pastor, and if you watch TV, and you might have accidentally seen this guy. Uh, all this was a few years back. There's a man that had developed what he thought was great faith. And he's doing a great work, and he's got a great big church, and things are going extremely well for them, it appears. And so he was at a big Christian party type deal. And all believers, and they were there, and they were out around the pool and everything and talking. He had a three-piece suit on. And one of them said, you know, and he's talking about, you know, faith, that's the answer. We can do all things in faith. And one of these guys said, hey, if you believe you got so much faith, he said, Jesus walked on water. Peter walked on water. He said, do you believe you can walk on water? He said, i got that kind of faith. Of course I can walk on that water. So one of the guys said, okay, let's see you do it. He said, okay, Lord, here we go. I have great faith. You know i got great faith. He said, I'm walking on that water. He said, I'm going to prove to these people faith really works. So he said, I just took off out there and I just ran. And I hit that water with my three-piece suit on. He said, I went plumb to the bottom. He said, I'm down there gurgling saying, Lord... Why? And he said, the Lord spoke to me in a way up and said, Son, you don't have faith. You're trying to show out. That's why you didn't walk on the water. He said, you're just trying to show out. He said, the Lord literally spoke to me. And I am underwater. And I heard him and said, perfect, because I could hear. Son, you're just trying to show out. God knows our hearts are delayed. He knows everything about us. It's so unfortunate that that's the case. He knows everything about us. So, Okay, we're five minutes past, so we're going to go ahead and start. Oh, goodness. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank You and praise You, Lord, for the Word. And as we talk about Your mighty promises this afternoon as children of God, I want to thank You and praise You for the Word. Thank You that You have forgiven us. You've made us the righteousness of God in Christ. And I want to thank You, Lord, for giving us all these things. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now then... Today we started off, first of all, in the Old Testament to show you and teach you about your dominion and your power and authority that have been given to you on the earth as sons of God, daughters of God. Then we talked about how Satan deceived us and he won the victory of us and he became the God of this world and the prince of the power of the air of this world and how he brought sin and sickness and disease onto the earth at that time. We now realize that since Jesus came to the earth 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to the earth to do several things. But one of the things He came to the earth to do, I want you to turn to 1 John 3, 8, and I want to show you what the Lord came to do in 1 John 3, 8. We're getting, this will be virtually all, nearly all of it will be uh, New Testament the rest of the afternoon. I want you to see in 1 John 3, Eight. It says, He that committeth sin is of the devil. So now then, if you're out there and you're living in sin of any kind, lying, stealing, cheating, committing adultery, or any of those things, 
that the Ten Commandments tells us we're not supposed to do. If you're doing to those things, using words of profanity and all that, who is controlling you? According to the Word of God. A devil. He that sinneth, he that committeth sin, is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. Now for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now if Jesus destroyed the works of the devil, it makes you wonder why he appears to still be running things on the earth. Because even in the church, he appears to be running things. Well, let's go back just a few pages to Hebrews 2. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2. And let's look at something here. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews 2, 14. I was going to let Cheryl sing another song when we first came back, but she had to go make some copies. We thought our copy machine in here was working, but the toner cartridge is out, and uh, I didn't know it, so she had to go to the ministry center to make her copies, so it's going to take her a while. But in Hebrews 2, 14, it says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood... He also himself, Jesus, likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil. Now then, through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil. How in the world, by dying, did Jesus destroy the works of the devil? Now then, how did we say that the devil gained the earth away from man through deception. He deceived us and we transferred our allegiance and our dominion from us, the gods of this world, to Satan, which became the god of this world and the prince of the power of the air of the world, which was our original job. Now, he got it away. Now then, if he got it away and then every man that was born from Adam and Eve was a partaker of that type of nature, which was evil, then every man born on the earth was a partaker of evil, a fallen creature, and no man could be perfect anymore. I mean, not sinless, I should say, not perfect, but sinless. No man, woman, could be sinless now. So with us not being able to be sinless, we were absolutely, we belonged to the devil. We were his children. We had no power over him. He was our boss. You can't come against your boss. You know, he today, you know, you could, I guess, if you wanted to where you work, but if you did, probably they would fire you. So the thing about it is you try to please your boss. So, but the devil, he was mean and he killed him anytime he wanted to. Anytime that anybody committed any kind of sin, the devil just came in. And I mean, you talk about the, the wrath of the devil coming upon people. When we sinned, or anybody sins, either today or then, but then, under the old covenant, when you sin, the devil was released to come in and do whatever he wanted to do, to steal, kill, or to destroy. Now, you think about sexual sins. You think about under the old covenant, when Moses was bringing the children of Israel out, and Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, which one of them was, that, Thou shalt not commit adultery. 
And when he come down off of the mountain after 40 days, what was the very first thing he walked into when he walked off of the hill and looked down? A drunken orgy. That's what he looked into. They were having a party. I mean a party. And when Moses saw what was going on, it made him so angry. What did he do with the Ten Commandments? He broke them. He threw them. When he threw those that had been written by the finger of God, and when he threw those things, the death angel, the devil, was sitting right there, and he went swarping through there. And how many people did he kill before Moses could intercede and stop it? 23,000 people died. 23,000. And then only because Moses interceded did they stop. If he hadn't interceded, the death angel would have wiped them all out. Why? He had power because of sin. Today, he has no power over us until we sin. And in that day and age, when they sinned, there was nothing they could do to be redeemed from the curse. But today, thank goodness for Jesus. But today, because of Jesus... Jesus came and defeated him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And now then, when we sin, if we repent before we die, and sometimes we do die very quickly. Some people die. It's amazing. A lot of people say, well, you know, God's sitting up here with a lightning bolt and I make a mistake, He's there to hit me. No, He's not there to hit you, but the devil is. The devil is there waiting to get you if you make a mistake. He is trying to be right there to get you because he wants to do physical harm to you. He wants to do something that will still kill and to destroy you as a Christian. He wants to shorten your life. Now, thank goodness we've got angels that will protect us. We've got help from God. But if we keep living in sin beyond a certain point, even our angels will go away and we'll become vulnerable to the devil. So the secret is, don't walk in sin. Walk holy before God. And don't open no doors to the devil. And if you have opened the door to the devil and he did get in, then you have power in the name of Jesus once you've repented to drive him out. That didn't happen in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we have been given this kind of power over the devil. So what happens to most of us when the enemy comes upon us to inflict us, whether he's intruding or whether he's there by legal right because of sin, unforgiveness, all kinds of sin, and if he is there because he has legal right until the sin is repented of, you cannot get him out. It doesn't matter what you do, he will not leave until the sin is repented of. When the sin is repented of, then when you command him to leave, he'll go away. I had a man the other day in church. He came up and said, Sir, can I give a testimony? I said, Yes, sir. He said, You see that woman right back there? I said, Yes, sir. He said, I've been married to that woman for 50 years. He said, now, last week me and her got in an argument. And he said, I got pretty mad at her. He said, and I went to bed mad that night. And he said, I woke up the next morning with excruciating pain in my back and my leg. He said, I thought about what you preach. I heard you say, the Word of God says, don't go to bed angry lest you give place to the devil. He said, I went to bed angry. Obviously, I gave place to the devil. He said, I remembered you said that I had power over the devil. So I rebuked him and commanded him to leave, and it didn't make no change. Then I remembered what you said. As long as the sin remains, the curse remains, so I must repent of my sin and get right with my wife first. So he said, I went in and told her I was sorry. I asked her to forgive me, 
And then I asked the Lord to forgive me for doing what I'd done. And then he said, I rebuked the enemy and commanded to leave. And he said, instantly the pain in my back and my leg left. Isn't that amazing? We don't realize. And then, just like another woman this last Tuesday night, at the end of the service, she said, I've got to give a testimony or I'm going to bust. I said, okay, ma'am, you don't have to do that. All you got to do is tell us what you want to do. She said, for the last couple of weeks, I've had an excruciating pain in my neck. And she said, tonight I come in here and I sat down at Bible study and I said, Lord, what is it that I've done that's opened the door to the enemy? And she said, immediately the Lord revealed to me, it's my grumbling the last couple of weeks. And she said, I got to think, I have grumbled about everything. I just, I've been fussy about everything the last two weeks. She said, Lord, I repent and I will not grumble anymore in Jesus' name. And she said, you started to open while you were opening in prayer. I had just repented and before you got through the prayer, I was healed. And I said, praise God. And so she, she said, I've sat here for the first time in two weeks now for two hours, enjoyed the Bible study and haven't had not one single pain. So she said, I just had to tell everybody what Jesus has done for me. I said, praise God. See, out of those testimonies, we learn. We learn. But see, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, do we have to yield to the devil? No. But do we still yield to him? I don't know about you, but I yield to that beast far too often in too many ways. I hope you're not there. I hope you don't do what I do. But I am trying my best to bring myself to a new level. And let me tell you, the greater level I try to go to, it seems like the greater the enemy comes against me. I know some of you know what I mean. But how did Jesus destroy him by dying? How did he destroy him and had the power of death, that is the devil? Well, when Satan became the legal God of this world, we had to find a man that was without sin to enter the legal battle to gain the earth back. Well, since every man is tainted with sin, where are you going to find him? There ain't going to never be one. Satan thinks he's got this thing sealed up. The earth is his forever. But we find a God that is able to put a seed into a woman by the Holy Ghost and that seed comes from him and not from man, but yet that man's going to be born from a woman, a virgin woman. She's going to bear a child and that child, when it comes forth, is going to be a man, but he's going to be from his father, which is in heaven, instead of from man on earth. And that man is going to be 100% man and he's going to be pure. And there ain't going to be no sin in his life. The first man in 4,000 years that come to the earth with no sin in his life. Now then the battle raged. Satan tried everything he could to get Jesus to fall one time, one way, anyhow in relation to his father. But Jesus was not going to let him do that. He was going to walk in obedience to the Word under the law to let you and me know that we can do it. He come to show us we can do this as men and women. He laid down His deity 100%. The devil's trying everything now to kill Him. Now then, under the judicial system in heaven, it's just exactly like the one we use on earth. If you were to kill me without just cause... Where would you wind up more than likely? In prison. Now, I don't know about you, but 
I can't, I don't know a human being on the earth. I don't care how mad or angry I got at that person. There's no human being on this earth that I would spend the rest of my life in jail for or maybe go to the death sentence myself because I got mad enough to try to kill you. Is it worth it? I don't think so. But Satan had been killing men and now then Jesus was the only man that he had no claim to. Now then he kept going and he said, I've got to get rid of this man. This man is causing havoc in my kingdom. And when he comes to my boys that I have put inside of people and he commands them to come out, they have to come out because he's the first righteous and just and holy person that's ever on this earth. So I have no claim to him and he has power over me just like it was created in the beginning. And he's doing his best to wipe out Jesus. He's do, he works every way he can for 33 years to get him to sin one time. And he can't do it. And at 33 years, he said, that's it. I'm going to kill him anyway. I'm going to kill him. And so inside of people, he's driving people. He's speaking out of their mouths. What should we do with this man that has no sin? I find nothing wrong with this man. Crucify him. Crucify him. And so out of the mouths of people controlled by demons, they take Jesus to the cross. They beat Him. Demons and human beings beat Him, try to beat Him to death. And they can't kill Him. So they nailed Him on the cross. And then at exactly 3 p.m. in the afternoon, He gives His life for you and me and dies willingly. And when He dies, Satan has committed the biggest blunder of his life. Satan, I can see that smirk on his face when Jesus hung his head and died. He said, I've finally won the victory. I've killed him. And then I can just see Satan as the, he takes the soul of Jesus into the lowest hell, like Psalms 88 says. And I can see the wrath being poured out upon him, just like it says. And when the final total price has been paid, that the Father required for sin. Death couldn't hold him. So he come back to life. Can you only imagine Satan as the Spirit of Jesus walks over and grabs the devil and says, puts him down and puts his foot on his neck and takes the keys away from him and says, now then I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. They're mine. You killed me, but you killed me illegally. So since you killed me illegally, and the wrath of the Father has been poured out on me for the sins of mankind. He said, now then, I'm going to go back to living, breathing men and all power and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, he regained everything we lost in the fall because he was killed illegally. And the judicial system in heaven, it's just like it is on earth. If you take an innocent man's life, your blood is required of you. So that's what Satan did. He took an innocent man's blood and his life was required of him. But God didn't annihilate him. He left him here for on-the-job training. He thought, if I were to leave my church on earth without any, any adversary of any kind, she would become very useless. 
you know, if you didn't have an adversary, if everything went perfect every day, I'm going to tell you there's not a Christian alive that if we didn't have an adversary, if we woke up every morning and we had a beautiful home and all the bills were paid, we had a good job, we had no sickness, no disease, no tiles, no torments, no nothing, and all we had to do was go get in our nice new cars and our nice homes and go to work. We never had a trial, never had a test. We never needed Jesus. It wouldn't be no time till the church wouldn't be fit to kill. I mean, we would be awful. But whenever the Lord allows the enemy to come upon us and put trials and tests upon us, if you ever need Jesus, when the trials and tests of life come, when you get tired of where you're living in the miry depths of hell, when you get tired of it, most people will cry out to Jesus. When you cry out to Jesus, when you realize the goodness of God, that He forgave you, when you cry out to Him, when you learn these promises, then He says, I healed them when they cry out to me in faith. That's why He left Him. But here He has destroyed the works of the devil. For as much as then the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He, Jesus also Himself, likewise took part of the same, that through death He might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Now then, since we know that the devil has been destroyed, we know that whoever continues to sin is of the devil, but Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and we know He did it, and how He did it here in Hebrews 2.14. Now let's turn back to Colossians, and I want to show you how much power and armament the devil has left. So you'll have somebody as a child of God how much power you have over the devil. Colossians chapter 2 Let's start with verse, chapter 1, verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is a mystery that was hidden before the foundations of the world. Christ is in you. If you're a born-again Christian, now then, if the devil couldn't handle one righteous man, if the minute you become a born-again believer you become the righteousness of God in Christ when you begin to see yourself as a righteous instrument, as righteous as God Himself was when He was on the earth as a man, when you see yourself as the righteousness of God, because Christ is in you, you will stop letting the devil beat up on you on a regular basis. He may deceive you once in a while, but as a rule, you will overcome this beast. You won't continue to let him live where he's lived with you because when you begin to see yourself as the righteousness of God, you'll change. Now what I'm saying is if you're out here living in the miry pits of hell and sickness and disease and everything else is out there, drugs, alcohol, violence, everything, when you live out there in that, when you get saved, when the picture becomes a reality to you that God reached down with His hands and picked you up out of that mess and washed you and cleaned you and put a brand new robe on you and set you over in His mighty ivory tower 
and made you the righteousness of God in Christ, you will, your goal will become, don't go back into the depths of hell and walk into the muddy pits of hell. Walk as holy as I can before God all the time. Can I do that without sinning once in a while? Jesus tells us to, but I'm going to tell you, the devil will make it as near as possible. But at least over here, when you do sin, you can repent immediately and get restored to fellowship. So that's, he says, this is the mystery that was hidden before the foundations of the world. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if Christ is in you, then you are Christ on the earth. So when you speak in His name, things have to happen when you speak in faith in His name. Because it's the same as if He was here Himself. When you speak in His name, that's why when, like J.C., I know J.C. goes and lays hands on people and drives devils out of them. And I know one time his mother-in-law, he told me this story. I was very uh, awestruck. This has been several years ago. His mother-in-law was in a hospital somewhere with a heart failure and the doctor said, call in the family. It's basically, it's over. J.C. went over there with his wife, Carolyn. They laid their hands on her, his mother-in-law, and did what every man wants to do to his mother-in-law. Cast the devil out of her. (laughs) I knew you'd get a laugh out of that. But I mean, that's what he did. And he cast the devil out of his mother-in-law, and instead of dying the next day, she was up out of the hospital, and the next day they went shopping and bought some new furniture together. And as far as I know, she's still doing okay, J.C.? Still doing good. That's been, what, two, three years ago? Yeah. So see, you call in the family, and now if you agreed with that, if they had agreed with that, you should have probably died back yonder. But J.C. wasn't. He said, hey, I'm a son of God. I've got Jesus in me. Jesus told me to go lay hands on the sick and drive that devil out and lay hands on it. He'd heal him. So he goes over and said, it's done. It can't fail in the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you, the next day, that mother-in-law, which was supposed to die, was up out of that hospital and healed. Isn't that wonderful to know what you can do as a son of God? Well, this is the mystery you've got to learn. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now then, somebody say, who are you? You say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Well, the first thing they're going to say is, well, you don't act like it. You say, I can't help it. I'm walking as best I know how, and I'm getting holier every day, but it doesn't make any difference. I may not be the holiest person I can be yet, but I'm renewing my mind daily with the Word of God, and I'm becoming holier every day, but I'm already the righteousness of God in Christ because He's already done it for me, and I don't have to do nothing to get it. He did it through Christ. And when you say, I'm up here because I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. When you begin to see yourself like that, that's when you can go over and lay hands on that mother-in-law and kick that devil out of her, right, J.C.? When you see yourself as the righteousness of God in Christ. And somebody says, well, who do you think you are? You said, I'm Christ on the earth. Are you trying to tell me you're Jesus? Yep. He's in me. He's in you. So if He's in you and me, then we're Christ on the earth, right? Is that awesome? Is that awesome or awesome? When you begin to see yourself like that, yes, we are Christ on the earth because He's in us and we're, did He not say we are His body? If we are His body, then we're Christ on the earth. That's why He told us as His body to go and when one of us gets sick, 
He told us what to do. When we need something, He gave us power and authority over the devils. He came and destroyed the works of the devil, but we don't have to yield to this beast. But let's read on a little further here. I'm in Colossians chapter 1, was where I was. And now I'm fixing to go to Colossians chapter 2, and I'm going to go to verse 13. Colossians 2.13. In fact, he says in 2.13, And you being dead in your sins. Now, are you dead in your sins? As far as God sees, you are. You are dead in sins according to the Word of God. Now, how hard is it for you and me to stay there? Very hard. We want to come down off of that cross. And how easy is it to come down off that cross? Far too easy. Far too easy. You have to nail me on that cross with a nail gun. And you have to put nails about every half inch to hold me on there. Because I'm telling you, I can tear those nails out. If somebody says something to me, I have to capture every thought. And if I don't stop and capture that thought, man, I can get in the flesh in a heartbeat. And I know none of y'all are guilty about that besides me. Y'all know where I'm coming from, don't you? No, we let that human part get in the way, don't we? But we don't have to. Well, we don't have to. Because he says, And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened or made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Everything's been forgiven. Then he says, I blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. What in the world is he talking about the handwriting of ordinances that was against us? The law. The written law. The law was against us. He said, I have blotted that out. I blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us or against us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Are we under the law? No. We're under grace. We're not under the law. We're not guilty. We're, I mean, we're not held accountable by the law as long as we walk in love and in faith. By faith, we're above the law. Then he says, and, having, and by doing this, by nailing the uh, uh, Ten Commandments as well as the law to the cross, he said, I have spoiled or disarmed principalities and powers or Satan and his demons and he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it the cross. Now, if the devil has been completely destroyed and completely stripped of all power and armament, then why in the world does he appear to be running most of our lives most of the time? Because we don't know who we are in Christ. We don't know what Jesus has done for us. So since we don't know what he done for us, we live in unbelief. Now, as long as I lived in unbelief, and I lived there for many a year as a Christian, well, now, was I going to church every Sunday? Oh, yeah. Was I teaching a Sunday school class? Oh, yeah. Was I a deacon in a church? Oh, yeah. Did I have sickness and disease? Oh, yeah. Did I know I had power and authority over this? No. Finally, when I begin to read this book, and I begin to understand if this book is true, the devil's been defeated. He don't have not one single ounce of armament. 
Not one single thing. He don't have nothing to accuse me of sin. What do I have to do to not give him any legal right to accuse me? Walk in love. And I know that's real easy to do. I mean, the one you love the most. Your own wife. The one closest to you. You can be driving down the road. And I had this problem with a pastor and his wife the other day. Cheryl and I had to minister to them. And I understand where he's coming from. You men, will, some of you will associate with me what I'm saying. If you have a wife, and a lot of wives are this way, especially if they've raised two or three or four boys, they become commanding mothers. Some women become commanding mothers. Well, they have to become a commanding mother if you raise three or four boys. That's just the way it is. But the one thing you've got to realize is your husband's not one of the boys. He's your husband. He's not the boy. So it's real easy for like this one pastor and his wife. This woman was getting ready for her third uh, surgery on her neck, on her throat. She was a singer. They'd drive down the road and she would constantly tell him how to drive. We're driving around. Honey, you're pulled off the road just a little. Watch where you're. Don't look out there. Pay attention to the road. Up, oh, we never turn right at the next turn. You're, you don't stop. You stop too late at that intersection. You need to stop back a little bit. And every time she says something, the tension level goes up, 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 up. Now, some of you men may know what I'm talking about. You may have one of those kind of wives. Oh, by the way, we turn right down at that next sign. It's still, you know, 200 yards down there. And then before you get up, oh, this is it, this is it, this is it. And you're trying to pull off the whole time. She said, this is it, this And finally, you get to right here. And he says, your mouth is my problem. Woman, if you wouldn't shut up and let me drive. He said, your mouth and your vocal cords is my problem. Every time that pastor spoke that on his wife, he had spoken over his wife in the last 27 years to where she had had two surgeries and was scheduled for the third one. And when we met to speak at their church, we saw what was happening. We invited them over to our little cabin that second evening and we spent four hours with this couple sharing with them what their problem was. And that he was speaking those curses on his wife and that's why she had that. And I, and I told her, ma'am, you're bringing it on yourself because you're not letting your husband be the husband. You're telling him what to do all the time and you need to stop becoming the commanding mother. He's not your boy. He's your husband and you need to trust him and let him drive. She said, but that, that's hard. I said, you want your vocal cords to be healed or you want to have them cut out again? And this time you won't have to worry because when they cut them out this time, they say you ain't going to be able to talk. I said, which way you want it? You want to talk or not? She said, I want to talk. I said, okay, repent. And ask God to forgive you for what you've done. You've not been a submissive wife. She repented. He repented. That afternoon in our little hotel room after four hours we went to church that night and a woman that could barely whisper. The first song she sang with Cheryl, you could hear her very good and the entire church gave Jesus a standing ovation. And the second song, she even hit all the high notes. She was healed right there that day. Isn't that amazing? We don't realize what we do and how many ways we sin and how many ways we yield to the devil. The Lord told the woman she's to be a submissive wife. 
She's not to be the commanding wife. She's not to tell her husband everything to do. She's to let him do those kind of things. And if he messes up, then it's a big, it's a problem. He's a big boy. He can take it. You know. If you see he's going to make a mistake, it's okay to say, "Oh, by the way, honey, you know you're fixing to miss our turn." Oh yeah, yeah. I'm getting there. That don't hurt. Once in a while, I'll do something like that. But to tell him all the time how to drive and how to do everything, the woman that does that to her husband will never have a husband that will really love her. He will resent that and he will draw back. But a man's made different than a woman. And a woman's made different than a man. That's just like, how many men go with your wife and she goes shopping, say, honey, you want to go shopping with me? Oh yeah, I'd love to go shopping with you this afternoon. The average man will say, no, that's okay. I'll stay home. You go shop. Because, see, you go down to the store. One day she says, well, I want you to please go shopping with me. Okay. You need a shirt and I want you to try it on. Okay. So you go down and you walk in and you say, hey, there's a sale rack. That one, that's a church, twelve ninety five. That's exactly the color, the size. That's how I wear everything. Let's just get it. Oh, no, 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 no. She says, we want to look around. <laughs> so three hours later, you come back and get that same shirt and you go home. I know none of you women ever done that, see? But that's why your husband don't go shopping with you. That's why he don't go. Because he don't like that. Now, you love it. And that's the way women are made. But see, it builds a problem between men and women. And it opens the door to the devil. Because when they come back to get the shirt, and he said, well, see, I told you. And she said, well, you, you always are like this. And he said, no, I just knew what I wanted, and that's it. And first thing you know, there's a battle going on. And between the man and the woman that loved each other, you've got a battle going on because the enemy's right there working on both of them's mind. And if you're not careful, that'll open the door to a demonic spirit by legal right to come in. And one of them may even get a grudge or an unforgiveness toward the other one. And if it does, then the devil's got legal right to the entire family. And he comes in through unforgiveness to steal, kill, and to destroy as legal excess into your family. But if you walk in love, if you make a mistake, and all of us do, when you make a mistake, immediately repent. And you say, well, I called the guy and told him I'm sorry. He wouldn't forgive me. Hey, you've done your part. You've done your part. If he's not willing to forgive, you might try two or three times. Say, hey, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. You know, I'll ask you to forgive me. And if he says, blank to blank, no, I ain't never forgiven you. Well, after three or four times, just pray and turn him over to the Lord. Say, Lord, I did my part. I'm sorry I messed up, but I asked forgiveness, and I've asked several times. He will not accept it. He will not receive it. So, Lord, there He is. He's yours. You do whatever you want to, but I've done my part. I have tried to get right with this man. And some people just won't receive. They won't receive it. Once they get un an unforgiveness toward you, what do you do then? Stay away from them. <laughs> Stay out of their sight. You know, because you never know what might happen. Need to stay away. So anyway, when you realize who you are and what's been done to you and how much power you've been given over the enemy, and then you take these things when you learn what Jesus did on the cross and how He defeated the forces of darkness and gave, given you this power and authority, then you learn that, just like we read a while ago in Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and power and he went about doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil. Where does sickness and disease come from? The devil. Let's go back again 
to this magnificent promise in Luke 10, 19, and 20. Because you need to really get a hold of who the devil is and the power you've been given over him because the one thing I've learned about the devil when it comes to sickness and disease or anything else that he does, attacking your mind to get you in a grudge against somebody, saying the wrong thing, taking control of your tongue, somebody says, you know, there's not any way the devil could get a hold of my tongue. Well, let me tell you, he got a hold of Peter's and he, Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, well, I'll tell you, when he said, who do you say I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, Peter, this has been revealed to you by my Father, which is in heaven. And then he turned around and said, I'm going to Jerusalem to die on the cross for the rest of the people. And Peter runs and gets him and drags him back and he says, never, this shall never be. And he turns and says, get behind me, Satan. Who was talking out of his mouth? The devil. If you don't think that devil can talk out of your mouth, then I, if there's a man in here or a woman in here that has never lost their cool, not one time, and ever said one single harsh word to your wife or your husband in your entire life, I would like to know who you are. If there is any such human being. Because I can't fit that criteria. I have lost it a few times in my life. And guess who it is that comes against us? And if we would take the weapons that's been given to us, we would never go there. Never. But look what, look what kind of power has been given to us. Luke 10, 19 and 20, Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power or authority to tread on the devil and his demons and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, or notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits or the evil spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Once we become children of God, how much power do we have over the devil? All. Not a little bit. All. And since we have all power over him, we have all these weapons that we have, how much power and authority and how many weapons does he have to come against us with? Zero. None. Everything he does to you and me is by deception and bluff, or as Wally says, smoke and mirrors. Smoke and mirrors. That's the way he does it. But he really comes and attacks us and does all kinds of things to us. And let me go to First Corinthians. Let's see, Second Corinthians. And let's look at how we do this. Get here in just a minute. Just be patient with me. I'm looking for a verse I can't find right now, but just be patient. Just
Where's the scripture? Somebody tell me that our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Chapter 10. 2 Corinthians, right? 10.4. Okay, that's where, I'm, that's where I'm going. That's where I need to deal. 2 Corinthians 10. Verse 4. Oh, yeah, there they are. Okay. This is the way you overcome the enemy. When he attacks your man, and he will, he'll come and intrude into you, and sometimes without legal claim. Now, if he, if he intrudes into you without legal claim, then these weapons are very easy to use against him. Now, if he comes in and attacks you because of legal claim, these things will not work. You'll have to repent first. But once you repent, then they will work. So this is why we want to walk in this love relationship, this faith walk that we want to walk in, because as long as we walk in love and in faith, we're above the law. And when we're above the law, Satan has no weapons up there to attack us. He can't touch you. He can't put sickness, disease. He can't do nothing to you when you walk in that love walk meeting the require, requirements of walking in love. Now, when you get out of love, you have to be real careful because the devil can attack you. And he will be able to attack you until you repent. So, be quick to repent. If you make a mistake, you do something, you offend someone, anything you do, don't hesitate to as quickly as possible come to God and say, Lord, I blew it. I messed up. I'm sorry. You make a mistake, you tell your wife something. I mean, she gets on your case and you turn and tell her that she's crazy. Shut your mouth, woman, or something. I know none of you guys would ever tell your wife something like that, but I know lots of people have. And so, if you do that, immediately, as soon as you come back to your senses, repent to God and repent to your wife. What did I say? Huh? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, when you come back to your senses. Because you, you were not operating within your senses. You know, you were being controlled by the devil, right? I mean, that's the way it is. I mean, you were, you, you were not within the normal frame of mind of a Christian. You know, you, and how long does it take to come back into your senses? Sometimes it takes a little while. And some of you women, now ladies, I'm not going to ask you to hold up your hands, but some of you, of course, the first woman I was married to, I lived with her 41 and a half years. And I will have to say, she was a good woman, very understanding. Very understanding. But if she was here today, I'm sure there would be times she would tell you, in fact, I made a statement one day about something that my wife took wrong. And I didn't know it. And I wasn't even really belittling her or making her feel small or anything. But I said something and she took it wrong. And she held a grudge in her heart against me for seven or eight years. I thought there's something wrong. You know, she don't do what she used to do. She's not as loving as she used to be. I don't understand what's happened. I say, honey, there's something wrong. No, nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. I thought, well, what, what did I do? So one day I was in a class teaching on unforgiveness. And I was teaching that unforgiveness would, if I understood the Word of God right, and you died with unforgiveness in your heart as a Christian, it could cost you your soul. You might go to hell. Because I said, Jesus says in His Word that if you hold a grudge against someone and you're not willing to forgive them, He said, then neither will I forgive you your sins. 
I said, so if I die in that, even though I'm washed in the blood, I realize this is a very controversial issue, and I may be wrong. So I'm not going to just jump down and say, hey, if you die with unforgiving your heart, you're going to hell. But that's the way I believe the Word. And I may be wrong. And I hope I am. But if I'm right, and you take that chance, I said, if you die in unforgiveness, you might spend eternity in hell. And I said, is anything anybody does to you worth that? And I said, not for me. We got home that Sunday afternoon. My wife said, i got to talk to you. I said, what do you mean, honey? She said, years ago. She knew. Remember the day, the place, everything we were. You said this to me. I said, I did? I didn't remember that experience at all. And she had built a grudge in her heart against me for all that, all that time. And she said, I realized today when I heard you teach the Word that you probably really didn't mean what you said. But she said, I took it wrong. And she said, I have held a grudge against you all this time for what you said. But she said, I'm telling you, I don't care what you say to me. There ain't nothing you can do to me worth me spending just a minute in hell, much less eternity. And she said, I read that book with you today and said, it appeared what you said is exactly what's written in that book. So she said, I am not taking a chance I've already asked God to forgive me, and now I'm asking you to forgive me. I said, of course. Absolutely. Isn't it amazing what we do? She had held that grudge for years. Some little insignificant something that I didn't even remember. But how many of us have been guilty of those kind of things? Probably far too many. And you want to know why that we bring sickness and disease upon ourselves. You know? I will have to say that I told this story to somebody earlier. I said, as I started walking in faith, walking in love, trying to do my best to walk in the faith, knowing that I'm a child of God that's above the law. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace and love. And I'm walking in faith. And I'm walking in divine health. And I'm holding my own against the devil because of what Jesus did on the cross. As I learned these things, I tried to share it with my wife. Not Cheryl, she's my second wife, but with Betty, my first wife. I said, and she couldn't receive it. She just couldn't receive it. And she said, that can't be what he means. I said, oh yeah, look at it, it's clear. This is what he said. We have power over sickness and disease. I said, when we walk in faith and love, we don't never have to be sick again. So one, that one summer, she come down at the beginning of the summer with the flu. And I said, you want me to pray for you? She said, no, it's okay. I'll just take some whatever these kind of pills that she keeps in the medicine cabinet. I said, no, honey, you don't need those. No, it's okay. She said, I'll just take the pills. Okay. So a week or two goes by, and I said, won't you let me pray for you? She said, that's okay. I'm going to get over it. Just don't worry about it. I said, okay. I, she wouldn't even let me pray for her. I said, Lord, what's wrong with my wife? And he would not do nothing. And I did pray for her on my own out there, and I, but nothing happened. She didn't get healed. I said, Lord, I don't understand this. And so I'd come in and I'd say, honey, after about a month, six weeks, I said, you know, honey, I said, uh, she said, look, I, I'm going to get over it. I said, oh, I said, well, let me tell you, let me give you some advice. I said, if you turn off the talk shows on television all day and open the Word of God and read it, you might get healed a whole lot quicker. Well, she didn't like that either. You know, how many times is it we take things as an event when somebody's trying to help us. But that's just the way we are, you know. I mean, we're all just a little bit proudful and hard-headed and stubborn. I got a little too much of that in me. 
Now, I know I'm the only man in here who's got that problem, so, okay. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Confession day, right, Wally? We all, oh, Lord. But anyway, my wife said, you're going to catch this flu. I said, I'm not going to catch this flu. I said, I'm above that. She said, oh, no, you're not. I said, you cannot sleep in that bed with me every night and not catch this flu. I said, you watch me. I'm not going to catch it. So at the end of three total months, she came to me one day. She said, honey, you've learned something I've not learned. I said, what do you mean? She said, I, she said, first of all, if I tell you this, will you not get mad at me? I said, well, honey, no, I won't get mad at you. I said, what's the problem? She said, after you said you could walk in faith, you were above this. She said, when you would go to bed at night and you'd go to sleep, I'd get over and breathe right in your face. She said, I tried to make you sick. Now, that's my own wife doing that to me. See? Now, are we something else or are we something else? She, do you think that woman loved me? Of course she did. She's married to me 41 years. We raised our children together. We, we, were, we shared everything. But when it comes to the spiritual thing, she was not there. So she said, I've missed the mark. I repent for my sins of unbelief. Would you please pray for me? I said, yes. I just reached over and touched her. And I said, Father, heal my wife in the name of Jesus. And you know what he did? Bam! Just like that, her flu was gone. She was healed in one heartbeat. You know what the Lord was doing? He was waiting on her to submit to him and to her husband. That's what he was waiting for. As long as she was going to be stiff-necked and get it done herself. He said, okay, you know, go ahead and we'll see how long it takes for you to get well. But the minute she repented and came into submission under that, the king instantly healed her. Isn't it amazing what, how these things work? Now, then, when we get this together here in 1 Corinthians, uh, or 2 Corinthians 10.4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Weapons. What do we think about when we think about a weapon? A gun, a bomb, a knife, a fist, a board, something. That's a weapon. That's what you use against a human being. Well, what human being is your enemy? None. No human being is your enemy. Only the devil is our enemy. God loves every one of the people that you see everywhere you go. He loves all of us, and He loves us all the same. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of the strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, then, any time the devil puts a thought in your mind, whether it be a thought because I, I think about how many times I see Christians when somebody comes in and I say, how are you doing today? I'm not doing too good. i got a pain in my back. Maybe my kidneys are failing or something. You know, I even had a cramp in here last night and maybe I'm having a gallbladder attack. Maybe gallstones are building up in me or something. Or maybe my mother died with cancer, so I, I, I hadn't been to the doctor yet, but you know, I just, for some reason, I just know I got cancer. We say those kind of things as Christians. 
we don't realize that the power of life and death is in the tongue. So when we start saying these things, when you say it long enough, guess what the enemy's going to do? He's going to believe you want that, and he's going to put that on you. Now, if you have not listened to those two tapes that I've made on the power of the tongue, you need to listen to those two tapes. Those two tapes on the power of the tongue. If Jesus said, life and death is in the power of the tongue, and every man, every woman shall eat the fruit of their tongue. Now, if Jesus said we're to capture every thought, to cast it down and bring it into obedience to the commands of Christ, if Jesus bore our sickness and removed our disease on the cross 2,000 years ago, how many times should a Christian be sick? Never. That's right, zero. I didn't know those things for the first 45 years of my life, so the enemy beat up on me regular. But then when I learned these things, and I come back to this magnificent promise here in Mark 11, when I learned the power of Mark 11, now this Mark 11, start verse 13, you'll see a, a spiritual principle here when the Lord tells us that life and death is in the power of the tongue. But he says in verse Mark 11, 13, And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, the tree, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. He spoke to the tree. He's showing you and me a spiritual law that he's given us as men and women of God, the power in your tongue as a child of God. And after they went to Jerusalem, we'll skip on down a few verses. Uh, we come back up here to verse 20. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree, and it dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, he said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. The fig tree that you cursed is withered away. What did he say to the tree? He told the tree to never produce fruit again. And so it died. How many of you have ever tried to raise a garden and say, I don't have a green thumb, I can't raise nothing? And if you say that, how many of you ever had a garden? You don't have one because it won't grow because you've cursed it with your own mouth. Then you walk down the street to your neighbor and they got the most beautiful garden. They'll say, oh yeah, I can grow anything. And they may even be lost. I can grow anything. And they're speaking with their mouth the laws that God put into existence. And but their tongue, they're speaking it into existence. And the soil and everything is in subjection to them. And they're bringing forth a great garden. Now look what Jesus says. Verse 22, Jesus answered and said unto them, Have faith in God. Now, if you have faith in God, He says in verse 23, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, that's a pretty awesome statement, isn't it? You can have whatever you say, Good or bad? Did Jesus give us a negative example of what happens when you speak negative to something to start out with? He did. He spoke negative to a tree and it died. 
I think about a man the other day that said, you know, I just know I'm coming down with diabetes. And he said, I just know that they'll have to cut my legs off. And he said, you going to take care of me whenever I'm riding around in a wheelchair and have no legs? You think that man has any idea what spiritual things are? No idea. No idea what he's saying. If Jesus gave you and me the power to speak things into existence, don't be like the woman. She read that verse one day and she walked her back kitchen window and there was a mountain there she didn't like. She said, I speak to you, mountain. I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. And the next morning she gets up and walks back there and she walks up to the kitchen window. She looks out and she said, just exactly what I expected. It didn't leave. Did she have faith? No. Not at all. She was just acting on the Word with no faith in her heart. When you act on the Word and you stand on the Word, you can take these promises like these or you go on down to the next verse where the Lord says you can have anything you say there. He says in verse 24, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Is that a pretty awesome statement? And the king of the universe made that statement. And then after he made these two awesome statements, he said in verse 25, And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone that your Father, also which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive... Neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. If you don't forgive, you're in trouble. Now, what if the person doesn't forgive you? What if you said something to someone and you tried your best to get right with that person? And you said, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And they hang the phone up. Six months later, you see them somewhere and walk up to them and say, I'm so sorry what I did. Would you please forgive me? And they say, no. Don't ever speak to me again. They turn and walk off. What are you going to do? You're going to say, Lord, I tried. I did everything I knew how to do. Now it's in your hands. I've done all I can do. Does He hold you accountable now? No. You have to try to be reconciled to people. Now then, what is the way to not let those kind of things happen? Do what 2 Corinthians 10, 4 says. Capture the thought before it comes to your mind. Capture the thought. I'm going to tell you, that is almost impossible to do, even as a Christian. I don't know about you, but as a 65-year-old man, I still have problems capturing every thought that comes to my mind. You too, huh, brother? As a man of God, a man has been preaching and teaching the Word of God and studying this for years. I was a deacon for 30 years and a pastor now for the last three and a half years. I still have to work on this diligently to overcome these things on a day-by-day basis. I mean, there's lots of days I go by and don't have any problems. Not really. But then all of a sudden it seems like for a day or a week, it seems like everywhere I turn, 
somebody does something or says something to me that wants to light my fire. You ever had that problem, John? I have. I have that problem. But see, that's when the, inten- the enemy intensifies his actions against you. And when the devil begins to put any kind of sickness and disease upon you, this is where, just like in the book of Job, he says, I may not be able to get them here and here and here and here. It's just like I was telling Cheryl the other night. I said, the devil knows every weakness I have. But I said, when it comes to drugs and alcohol, I said, he, know, he knows drugs is not a, not a weakness of mine. I said, he could put every kind of drug known to man out there and put them in the fanciest form he could put them, and I wouldn't touch none of them. I said, he could take the most beautiful uh, nicotine commercials that you can imagine and put them out to me, and I wouldn't even be tempted. I said, he could put the most beautiful alcohol, uh, every kind of alcohol, beer, everything it was, anyway, even put beautiful girls behind it, and I wouldn't be tempted by none of it. None of it. But I said, he does know where my weakness is. I'm going to tell you where my weakness is. The devil already knows. My weakness has always been with my wife and how other men respond to my wife. If somebody touches my wife and holds her too close, even at church, it makes me mad. Isn't that amazing? What is that that causes that? I've gotten a whole lot better over the years. But if somebody handles my wife, especially if it was somebody that might have been a boyfriend of hers years ago, it lights my fire. And the other night, we were watching a movie. And I thought, you know, I'm not the only man in the world like this. The other night, we went home after Thanksgiving Day. And Cheryl said, honey, let's watch a video. We hadn't watched a movie in ever. I said, okay. So she pulls out a movie by the name of The Apostle. Anybody ever saw that movie? A young man called of God, preaching the gospel the time he's 15 years old. And then he's built him a church and he's going great. He's married to a beautiful woman and they got two beautiful children. And then one day he's out preaching and the Lord shows him in a dream, your wife's not at home. So he drives back home, drives to his house, her car's not there. He goes in the house, goes upstairs, and ain't nobody in her bed. So he drives over to his youth leader's house, and there's her car at 3 o'clock in the morning. And guess who's upstairs in bed with his wife? The youth leader. He looked at that, and he said, Thou shalt not kill. But you know what he thought about doing? He thought about killing that man. How many men... I don't know. If you're a normal man and you come home and found another man in bed with your wife, would it upset you? I think so. I don't think any man that could say, no, that wouldn't bother me at all. I'd say, you've got a problem. You didn't love that woman. But this man loved his wife, and then he goes back, trying to control himself, a preacher of a church, he goes to get his children at the baseball game one day, and the youth leader was a coach or something, and he didn't want the kids to leave, And so as he's leaving with the two kids, he turns around when the youth leader comes and grabs him by the back and said, don't take them. And he reaches up and gets his son's bat and turns around and hits him right beside the head and breaks the bat and kills him in the movie. 
And then he grabs his wife and he was very mean to the woman that he loved. The woman he just killed for, he's almost trying to kill her. You reckon he's capturing the thoughts? No, the devil's having a heyday. The devil's having a heyday. Does the devil know the weakness of every human being? Yes, he does. That's why I teach in church. I think it's wrong for men and women to hug each other tightly in church. I realize the Bible says, greet each other with a holy kiss, but I would never teach that in my church because I don't want no man to walk up and kiss my wife. It might not bother you at all, but it bothers me. I don't want my wife or some man to walk up and grab my wife around the breast and squeeze her into him and hug her. I don't like that. That may not bother you at all. See, the devil knows where your weaknesses are. So guess what? He don't work on me on alcohol. He don't work on me on drugs. But he works on me in this other area because he knows what my weakness is. Guess who's going to have to overcome that? Me. Isn't that amazing? The devil knows exactly where your weak parts are. Now, one man might not bother him at all if another man walked up and kissed his wife on the cheek and hugged her. might not bother him at all. But he might walk in a room and there's somebody there and got all kinds of special drugs or something that he used to be on, or alcohol. I even heard Jesse DePlantis say one time, he said, I used to drink a fifth of vodka every day before I got saved. He said, the Lord completely delivered me from that. And he said, then one day I'm driving down the road, preacher, preaching the gospel years later, and there's a sign of my special vodka on it. And he said, I looked up there and said, instantly my tongue began to lick my lips. I thought, man, that's the best stuff I ever drink. And he said, I immediately had to capture that thought. I knew that was the devil. I said, no, Satan, I rebuke you out in the name of Jesus. And he said, I've never been tempted for that stuff again. See, he could have never tempted me with it in the first place because he never had me on it. I hate it. But there's other areas he can get to you. You have to learn to capture every thought and make every thought obedient to the commands of Christ. If you don't, the devil will beat up on you in those rounds. Just like that story I just told you about that charismatic Pentecostal preacher that killed his youth leader now, of course, I will have to say that man did go to bed with his wife. You know, I, I, I would hope to think that if that ever happened in my life, which I don't ever believe it will, it never has before, it never has up to now, and I don't believe it ever would happen, but if it did, if it did, for any reason, I would hope I could just say, hey, Lord, I turn them over to you and I'm going to walk off. Because nobody... It's worth going to hell for. Wouldn't it be terrible if a man and woman went to bed together that was, and you killed one of them or both of them and they, although they had committed adultery and they were truly children of God, they went to heaven and because you murdered him, you didn't get to go to heaven because he said no murder shall have eternal life and you had to die and go to hell because of a sin they committed. Is anybody worth that? I don't think so. But see how we have to learn to capture the thoughts. This is the battleground that the devil is attacking us every day. When he puts a pain or a symptom, just like in the book of Job, 
When the devil put a pain or a symptom upon your body, what does the average Christian do or average person the minute a pain or a symptom comes upon your body? Where's the first place we go? To the doctor. We go to the doctor. We go to the pill bottle. Whatever. Instead of coming to the Word of God and saying, Lord, is there anything I've opened a door to the devil? Lord, you've made me all these promises. Mark 11, 22 and 23. What did the Lord say you could have? Anything. Whatever you desire. Matthew 18, 19. He says, anything two of you on earth agree about, it's done for you. And that scripture right there, Lori sitting right here on the front row, is a result of a healed woman that her husband and I met and prayed over that one promise. And God healed her. Completely. Of course, Mark 11, 23, uh, 22 and 23 and 24, we've seen many people healed on those things. And then let's, let's take a few more of these and we've got just about 15 minutes left. And let's take uh, a, a few more of these. Let's go over to the book of, John, or the book of Mark, uh, to the end of the book of Mark, chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, and see what Jesus said we can do. First of all, we're supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And we're, as we preach the gospel, he says, Anybody that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. Now, this is what we've got to do, preach the gospel. Now, the world out there don't like to hear it, but you need to preach it gently and in love. And sometimes that's hard to do. So, but you have to do it. And he says in verse 17, And these signs shall follow those that believe. Now, if you and I are believers, he says, In my name shall you cast out devils. And you shall speak with new tongues. said, You shall take up the devil or serpents. And if you drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt you. And you shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now, if everybody's got their sins confessed, walking in a statement or a condition of love, when you drive, lay your hands on someone, and if that person has a spirit of anger, rage, or spirit of infirmity, or whatever, these are invisible spirits that you cannot see. But you can drive them out with the Word of God in faith. So if you've got someone that's living in anger, rage, bitterness, strife, whatever it is, they can repent of those sins. You can demand in the name of Jesus that those devils, those demons, leave that person and they have to go away when you do it in faith. Now then, if they come back, which they probably will try to, if they try to come back and try to operate on the outside of your flesh now and begin to try to put a thought in your mind, which is a battleground, what did the Lord tell you to do in 2 Corinthians 10.4? Capture the thought. Don't yield to it. Because if you yield to it, after you yield to it to a certain point, then they will come in and they'll take up residency inside your flesh again. Now you're going to have to go through deliverance again. You're going to have to repent, drive out the devil. Of course, this is just the way he works. You have to repent of the sin first, drive out the devil. So if a person's got sickness and disease... That's just exactly what J.C. did with his mother-in-law years ago, a few years ago. They went over, they drove the devil out, which was killing his mother-in-law, making her heart fail, and laid his hands on that woman, and God healed that woman. And a woman that was going to die a few years ago. Or like the woman I told you about earlier, that the, the lady that told us Tuesday night at Bible study, she went to the throne of grace, the third heaven, and prayed, rebuked the devil over the friend's uh, daughter, 20 years old, and the girl's supposed to die the next morning, but the next morning she's healed. 
We have been given that kind of power when we do these things in faith. When you get a hold of the fact that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, you are a son of God, you're a daughter of God, you have all the right in the world to go straight to the throne of grace anytime you want to because Hebrews 4.16 says you do. In fact, Jesus didn't tell you to come in there crying. He told you to come in boldly and tell me what you want. That's what He said. Come boldly to the throne of grace because you're my son or daughter. He said, before you come in here, make sure you got your sins repented of. Come in covered in the blood of my son. When you come in, then He says, come in and ask me what you want and I'll do it for you. So here, where the Lord says we can cast out devils and lay hands on the sick, sometimes you'll have a case like that and then other times you'll have a case where you won't know if it's a devil and it may not be a devil. In fact, I, I didn't realize how many devils entered my granddaughter at the trauma of the wreck. I didn't know she had a devil or many demons. I didn't know. So to start off with, with her laying there on her deathbed terminally ill, according to the doctor, brain stem severed, eyes disconnected, skull crushed in five places, face tore all to pieces, lungs and chest all crushed and tore up, and right knee crushed and left leg broken in two places. And the doctor said it's impossible for her to live. Absolutely impossible. If you know that this book belongs to you, and you know you're the righteousness of God in Christ, because you know you're a child of God, if you know you belong to Jesus then these promises belong to you. And in John fifteen seven, Jesus said, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. That's a pretty awesome promise, isn't it? Well, with that kind of promise, if you know you're the righteousness of God in Christ because of what Jesus did for you on the cross, you can walk right into the throne of grace where Jesus is and say, Father, you said... Jesus said right here, I, your word's in me, I'm in you. I can now ask what I want to and it shall be done for me. So Father in Jesus' name, I ask you to do this, 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 fix everything, make everything work perfect in the name of Jesus. And after you do that, what do you got to do? Thank Him and praise Him for your answer. And then how long is it going to take? Who knows? But when you stand on the promises and continue to ask Him, it will happen. Yes, ma'am? Wait a minute, let me get a mic so you can hear it a little better. I don't think they can hear you up there, so let me hand you a mic, girl. Well, I heard a teaching this week about uh, David when he killed the giant. And it made me think of you because when David came to bring the food to his brothers, well, his, one of his brothers, it made him mad because he was saying he could take care of that giant, and they weren't able to. And he said, oh, have you left those few little sheep? What did you do with those few little sheep that you take care of? Well, he didn't, even, he didn't even answer his brother. He just turned and began to talk about what he was going to do. So this guy said, if you want to be a giant killer, well, you, you won't listen to somebody telling you you cannot do that. You'll just turn and you'll run at that giant and you'll speak the Word of God. And I thought, wow. It reminded me of when you were in the hospital with Caitlin and they said, well, you, the lady came and said, you are in denial. You didn't listen to her. You turned. You were a 
giant killer. And you just went and you just used the word. And it just was so awesome because that's what you're teaching us. We're going to be giant killers and we're going to just not listen to people saying, oh, do you think you can do that? Yeah, we can. No, we don't think we can do it. We know. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I got tickled at Sherry here a while back. There was a friend of hers. This is a great story. There was a friend of hers that down in Fort Worth called her. And her husband, young man, they had a family, young children and everything. And he wound up in the hospital with some kind of brain tumors or something. The doctor said he'll never leave this room alive. And so her friend was a pretty strong Christian. Sherry's a very powerful Christian. So she called her friend and says, let's pray. And so Sherry went to battle. And in fact, I think, maybe, did you even go down there? Did it over the phone. Did it over the phone. Called him. Kicked them devils out of him in the name of Jesus. And she knew she was the righteousness of God in Christ. She knew all these promises in God's Word. And you talk about being a giant killer. She kicked them devils out. She said, now you're not only going to go home. You're going to get completely well. And you're going to go back to work. You're going to be a fireman again in Fort Worth. And let me tell you, guess what? That's what the boy's doing. He's back at work, totally recovered and everything, because she said with her mouth what the Word of God says, and she did it with no doubt in her heart. Now see, that's the victory that Jesus has given us over the enemy. Now so we come to God and say, Oh Lord, would you please heal me? And He says, No, I've already done it. I did it for you on the cross 2,000 years ago. Now all you've got to do is kick out the devil that's causing the problem and act in faith on my Word And he said, it will come to pass. You said, Lord, I did that. I've done that. I've worked at it. And I'm standing. And he says, continue to stand. All of my promises are yes and amen. I talked to a man the other day. Of course, I really loved what he had to say because this this problem happens to lots of men as well as women when you start getting older. This man... I don't know how old he was, but he wasn't that old. I don't think he was over 50 or 55. But he said, my eyes got so bad, I had real thick glasses, and I could hardly see even good with them. So he said, when I got a hold of these promises, that Jesus said I could have anything I say with my mouth if I believe with my heart. He said, today I got a hold of that. He said, I walked out and I said, Lord, you made the promise. I want to thank you, Lord, that I don't need these glasses no more in the name of Jesus. And I said, well, did you throw them away? He said, absolutely not. He said, I couldn't see. So he said, I'd take them off. I couldn't see a thing. So he said, I'd go down the road and I'd say, Lord, thank you that I don't need these glasses no more in the name of Jesus. He said, I'd wake up in the morning. Lord, thank you. I don't need these glasses no more in the name of Jesus. I got perfect clear eyes, far and close in the name of Jesus. He said, I just went around and everywhere I went, I said that over and over and over for months and months. He said, some of my friends said, you have lost your mind. Can you see? Take the glass off. Can't see a thing. But he said, the Word says, put them back on. Thank you, Lord, that I can see perfect, close and far in the name of Jesus. He said, one day I was driving down the road. He said, I'd said that there in no telling how many thousand times I'd said that. He said, I'm driving down the road one day and the Lord, I'm driving down the road and the Lord says, I just said that. Thank you, Lord. That I got perfect clear vision far and close in the name of Jesus. And he said right behind that, the Lord says, you believe that, don't you? He said, I was startled. I heard God's voice. Yes, Lord, I believe it. He said, well then, pull off your glasses. So he said, I wheeled off the side of the road and stopped. 
jerked them glasses off and laid them down on the seat and looked up and said, I couldn't see a thing. But I said, Lord, thank You that I can see perfect, far and close, with no glasses. And He said, right before my very eyes, everything come into clear focus. And He said, to this day, and He opened His Bible and handed it to me and said, can you read this print? I said, ain't no way I can read that. That's too little for me. He said, I can still read that fine print today, years later. I said, Lord, thank You. Now then, see what we do? Say, Lord, thank You that i got good, clear vision. You take your glasses off, you walk out, and you say, well, I stumbled and failed. It didn't work for me. It didn't work for him either. For I don't, He didn't tell me. I don't remember. He said, months and months and months. I said that over and over and over according to Mark eleven twenty three. And when he... Guess what? Did you know if you tell a lie over and over and over every day for six months, you'll get to where you'll believe it? And that's what he was doing. He was calling things that be not as though they were until they became a reality. And he said that so many times... And I was down at Hillcrest Church speaking the other day when that man came up and told me that story. I thought, how awesome. Every time I hear one of these stories, it just increases my faith. He said, I said, just like Sherry said, I said, I'm a giant killer. What do you mean letting that uncircumcised Philistine control you men? We're children of the Most High God. I will take my slingshot. I will kill that giant in the name of the Lord. What was David saying? I'll kill that giant in the name of the Lord. And he went out there and what did he do to that giant? He killed that giant. One little stone. Who do you think guided that one little stone right to the un, only unprotected spot on that guy's head? The Holy Spirit. Had to be. But he said, so see, when we start saying these things and if it don't happen right now or in a week or in a month, we say, well, it didn't work for me. Yeah, it was working until you doubted. But when you doubted, then it don't work no more. Somebody said, well, gee, I've been believing for a year. Well, let me tell you, the big scar that was on the bottom of my granddaughter's chin, I believed for that scar to come off for two years. I, I can't understand why he healed her complete face without a scar in two weeks. He put that little face, tore all to pieces, completely back together, because of the promise, I quoted John fourteen thirteen and 14 over that face. Well, you're right there in John 16. Turn back to John 14, 13 and 14 and see what that says. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Is that an awesome statement or is that an awesome statement? And that's from the king of the universe that made us that statement as his children. We must realize we are the righteousness of God in Christ because of what he did on the cross. We must realize we are not under the law. We're to walk in love. And when we do that, Satan has no claim to us. He cannot do anything to us except intrude. When he intrudes, we can take the word of God and kick him out. We don't have to yield to Drugs, alcohol, sex, violence, anything. As sons of God, you capture every thought that comes to your mind, cast it down, and walk in love. Are you going to be able to do that easy? No. It's going to be very difficult. But if you do it, you'll give no place to the devil, and you can be able to walk in divine health. Now then, during that time, if the devil intrudes and puts something up on you when you're walking in love, you can take the Word of God, you can drive him out, 
and you can command that beast to live, leave, and you can begin to speak what the Word of God says. Even maybe maybe eyesight is not a de- maybe it's just I don't know what causes the eyes to deteriorate. But Jesus said, "Whatever you say with your mouth, you'll have." So you know what happens to most people when they start getting old. In fact, I'll tell you, when I was 45 years old, I still had never had to re- use reading glasses. But at 45 years old, I'm driving down the road one day, Dallas. I can tell you exactly where I was on 35E when I was listening to a Christian radio station and had a doctor on there, an optometrist. He said, if you're over 35 and don't have to wear reading glasses, you're very lucky. He said, most people, by the time you're 35, need your eyes begin to change and you'll need reading glasses. So I'm 45. I don't need them. And I think, you know, gee, I guess it won't be long till I'll have to have them then. And every time I'd see somebody, somebody start doing something, I said, Well, I guess it won't be long. I'll have to have reading glasses. And guess what? It wasn't long till I had to have reading glasses. I spoke that curse on myself. Did Jesus say you can have whatever you say with your mouth? Isn't that amazing? So you need to learn how to talk. I'm telling you that the most powerful thing in your body is the tongue. And you're either going to make yourself sick with that tongue, you're going to live in obedience to God's Word with that tongue. That tongue is a raging inferno of fire. James chapter 3 says so. And that tongue is either going to... With that tongue, you're either going to control your whole body or you're going to defile your whole body. Your tongue. That's what's going to make you sick. Or that's what's going to heal you. If you walk in obedience and learn to control your tongue... The Lord says, the man that learns to control his tongue is perfect in all his ways. Perfect. That's why the devil works on our mind to get control of our tongue. Because when you learn to speak by faith, you can learn to walk in divine health. You can learn to do what God says. You can overcome the enemy. And then you can pray in faith with your tongue. You can quote the promises of God through your tongue and they will bring healing to your flesh. It's too simple, isn't it? But it's very, very hard to do. We have trouble doing it, don't we, Lane? Walking in, walking in love 100% of the time. No, no comment. <laughs> not confession time for her. She's not going to go, I'm, I'm willing to confess and say, I'll make many mistakes. Even at the minister center. You know, here I've got all these Christians around me and everything, and once in a while I lose my cool. You know? But Elaine, she's not going to go with me today. She ain't going to confess. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have put her on the spot. She's a smart woman. But I know, I know that it's difficult to walk in love 100% of the time. It's a whole lot easier with a bunch of Christians that love you than it is in the world where they don't love you. Then that becomes a real chore. So when you get out there in the world, you know, that's where it really becomes a chore. And you have to really think what you're doing if you want to walk in divine health. But it's worth the price to have to pay. But all I can say, if you sin, or maybe I should say when you sin, make sure you repent and get right with God and then drive the devils that goes with it away. Because if you don't, they'll come in to make you sick and afflict you and torment you. The reason I was saying that is because uh, Elaine, her, her husband, this, he had a problem here a while back and he had to go through a deliverance. 
And he's a prophet of God. He's a man of God. And I saw him the other night and he said everything's wonderful. But he'd let the devil get through him a little bit, hadn't he, Elaine? Yeah, most assuredly, see. But see, we're humans, you know. We're humans and I don't care, you know, if you're if Elaine's husband like Bo was or me, Cheryl's husband or whatever. We can lose our cool as men. And when we do, we can open the door to the devil. I know. I've done it. But all I know is we close the door, drive out the devil. If we, if we are children of God, He's already bore all of our sins on the cross. He's already bore all of our sickness and disease there. It's all written in, in Matthew eight sixteen and 17. He bore our sickness and removed our disease. So if He did, all we've got to do is make sure we repent of every sin, drive out the devil, lay hands on the sick or anoint them with oil or whatever, and then believe the promises of God and He can't fail. He will heal you. Now, how quick is He going to do it? I don't know. Sometimes He does it instantly and sometimes it takes a while. I don't understand why God completely healed Caitlin's face in two weeks but left that huge big old scar under her neck for two years. But I quoted John 14, and 13, John 14, 13 and 14 probably 2,000 times in the last two years over her little neck. Now, you couldn't see the scars unless you turned her head up. When you turned her head up, there was the scars. I didn't want them under there. I wanted her face to be no scars. Well, about six months ago, she walked up to my table. I was getting ready to have some breakfast one morning. She come running up my table. And I said, Lord, thank you for taking the scars off her. I turned her head up right quick. And for the first time in two years, that big old scar was gone. Within a matter of days, it only been a few days since I'd seen her. And it would not change. It was still the same big old scar. But when he decided to take it off, because I was calling things that be not as though they were, and thanking him for doing it, one morning, bam, he just took it off. And then when I felt it and it was gone, ah, that can cause granddaddy to go into orbit. You can get excited. Let me get a mic for you, Lane. Now that I've got you started, you may tell us something. (laughs) No. Yes, Yes, okay. (laughs) I'm just kidding you, young lady. I wanted to comment on... You said, Bo, let the devil get to him. And that's really true, but it's so subtle. And anyone in here may have already done it or oh, might yeah. do it in the future. I have. But he began having all kinds of thoughts about, I'm, uh, I'm a failure. I'll always be a failure. I can't do anything right. Um, I'm, you know, it even got so worse that he thought he wasn't a son of God anymore. And then you really know who's talking to him. But he came into agreement with these lying spirits. Mm-hmm. And the person that was leading him in deliverance kept trying to tell him, you have believed lying spirits. You have swallowed hook, line, and sinker every devil, every lie the devil has told you. He says, you don't understand. From my youngest memories, I have always thought I was going to fail, that I was never going to succeed, that I was never going to grow up to be this or that or the other. You know, I wasn't going to have a career. I was going to just be a nothing, a nobody. And, um, of course, the man tried to point out that... uh, you must have gotten that from one or both of your parents. And, and indeed he had. You know, can't you ever do anything right? You're never going to this, that, or the other, you know. Mm-hmm. And he believed it when you're a young child. You believe everything you're told. Mm-hmm. And it had become his core identity. Failure was his core identity. And he almost got up and walked out because he kept saying, No, you don't understand. Bo kept saying, No, you don't understand. That's who I am. 
And the man leading him in deliverance was going, no, you don't understand. You have believed the devil. (laughs) And it took a while to convince him him that he had believed a lie. (laughs) And and that's not who you are. And uh, at the end of it, like on the drive back home, he was just going, I can't, I can't believe I ever believed that stupid stuff. It is so clear now. I can't believe I ever believed it. You know? And uh, he is a changed person. Oh, yeah. Praise the King. Amen. That's the thing about it is, when you begin to realize that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, you're a child of God. When you begin to see yourself like that, you know, it changes everything about you. Changes everything. Now then, what did you and I have to do with becoming the righteousness of God? Nothing. We just believe Jesus. That's all. We're totally hanging on His shirt tail. You know, it's like, it's like He's the power source and He's driving down the road and we have a motor scooter that has no power. We're pushing it and we run up and we grab a hold and we go down the road at the same speed and we have no motor to pull ours. That's right, yeah. He's the locomotive and we're the boxcars. That's exactly right. And when you see that, that that's, but you are hooked to that engine, that power source, and because you're hooked to that power source, if that engine's running 50 miles an hour, you're running 50 miles an hour. So when you say that, when God says He's the righteousness of God and He's made you the righteousness of God because you and I are hooked onto Him, we're righteous. And the the thing about it is we should try to act like that as much as possible, which should be all the time. But I'm going to tell you from experience, it's impossible to walk there 24-7. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. This is something I struggle with and several people that I know. I believe with all my heart that God heals. That That isn't an issue. But say you've sown to the flesh. My... Mine has been I've had bad knees since I'm a child, but the last years I've added weight. How can you? How can you ask God to do something when you did it yourself? When you brought on things in your flesh, how can we presume on that grace? That's where I'm struggling. Okay. I'll tell you. When you realize that you are a daughter of the king and that you've messed up big time. Now let me ask this question before I answer her question. Let me ask how many of you, and I'm going to put both my hands in my pocket. Whoops. How many of you can hold your hand up or one hand up to say that I've never sinned? Nobody. That's why the king had to come, isn't it? Even regardless of what you've done and what you've said, we had a young lady at church the other night. And this young lady, she had got off on a deal like that, and she used to weigh 130 pounds. And she had put on 160 additional pounds. She's a pretty good-sized girl. And she came, and she said, What do I need to do? She said, I've been going to the doctor. I've had this problem. The medication has caused me to blow up like a balloon. In a year, I've gained 160 pounds. I said, first of all, you need to repent for not coming to God in the beginning. She said, I didn't know he was a healer. I said, that's okay. That's sin. So repent. So she repented. She said, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't know. 
you were the healer. I'm sorry that I took the medicine. And Lord, I believe now you are the healer. And so I'm not. She said, right there, she said, I'm not going to take any more medicine. And she said, would you ask God to do a supernatural work on me to help take off this weight? I said, yes, ma'am, I sure will. I said, God did say we could ask anything and he'll do it. I said, he's capable of doing far beyond anything we can think or imagine. Although, if I want to say it, because of her lack of knowledge, and some people might say, well, because of your stupidity, well, we're all there. We've done those things. We ask God to forgive us. Now, he's a merciful and gracious God, isn't he? He forgave this woman. We ask her to heal her now. We laid hands on her. She repented of all of her sins. The woman was healed. I believe that was the 26th of September, whatever it was. September, 26th of September. And it was like a month, a month and a half later when she came and gave her testimony. She had already, she was totally, completely healed. No medication. And she had already dropped 56 55, 56 pounds of weight in, in, in less days than that. And then another man came to me the other day and he said, I repent and I want to be healed. And he said, I weigh 400 pounds. And he said, I want to lose this weight and bring my temple back down where I want to. He said, will you ask God to increase my metabolism where that my body will burn up this fat where I don't have to get like this? He said, I can't hardly get around. I'm so big. He said, I weigh 400 pounds. I said, sure, no problem. So he repented. I prayed the prayer of faith for him. And three months later, I was down in another city, and he was there. And he said, can I give a testimony? I said, sure. I said, man, you've lost some weight. He said, yeah, 100 pounds already in three months. What's God able to do? Anything we can believe Him for. See, we just we don't think God can do something. And so instead of, instead of saying, hey, God, I've messed up big time, I know you don't love me no more because I messed up big time. He said, oh yeah, my daughter, you're, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. He said, come right on in here. When I look at you, I see Jesus. You're clean just as if you've never seen. He said, Lord, I don't feel that way. He said, that's okay. We don't go by feeling in heaven. We go by what's written. And that, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Because when He looks at you, who does He see? Jesus. And so you've got to get a hold of that. You've got to say, Lord, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Body, I command you not to overeat. Body, I command the metabolism in you to fire up and to burn off the extra weight that I don't need. I'm going to bring this thing down to where I want it. Lord, if I want this thing to weigh 110 pounds or 140 pounds, whatever I want it to weigh, I want it to weigh right there in the name of Jesus. I started speaking that into existence when I was a teenager, 17 or 18 years old. Men started kidding me. Saying, Thurman, you know that whenever we get to be middle aged, 40 years old, you're going to have to have a big belly on you. I said, Not me. I ain't going to never have a big belly. He said, Well, you have no control over it. I said, Oh, yeah. I have control over it. I said, I'm not going to ever eat. I'm not going to uh, do those things. And so I'm never going to be overweight. I'm going to be 66 years old next month. I still weigh 170 pounds. You see where I'm coming from? I control what I eat. Now, do I overeat once in a while? Yes. Once a month, but I don't do it every day. When I do sit down, I take control of my flesh. I say, flesh, I eat small portions. A lot of days, I don't eat at all. You know, a lot of times on Sunday, I won't eat at all. If I do, I'll eat late, late in the evening after church is over. But I'll fast one day a week, sometimes a couple of days a week. 
Many days I get up in the morning, go out to the ministry center, work all day long. May eat a handful of peanuts all day long. That's all I'll eat. Maybe drink a cup of hot tea. And then I go back home at night and Cheryl's at home. We may sit down and have something to eat or we may go out and have a bite to eat. But I try to control my weight. I speak to my body. I say, body, in the name of Jesus, I command you not to overeat. I command this weight to come off of me in the name of Jesus. And what did the Lord say you could ask in His name? Anything? Well, don't you think we ought to start taking the king upon his promises? See, one day I decided, whenever the doctors walked in and said, your grandbaby's dead, it's over. She's, she's, you know, I said, hey, if this book is true, and he can do exceedingly abundantly above all, he says I can even think or imagine, then I, ha- I am in control here in the name of my king. So I ain't going there. You know, even the second Monday morning when I'm in there, the doctor said, I don't know how she's lived this week. Because i just done a second MRI and there's nothing attached to her brain. Nothing. I said, how about her eyes, Doc? He said, no, they're disconnected too. He said, there's nothing attached to her brain. So he said, we're going to pull the tubes on her this week. And when we pull the tube, she's going to die. I said, no. She's going to live. And she's not going to live. She's going to run and play. And what did the Lord say I could have? Whatever I said with my mouth, if I said it in faith. In fact, that... Thursday morning when they come in to pull the tubes out of Caitlin. Dr. Davis, precious, beautiful lady doctor, lung specialist, she walks in and says, Mr. Scrivener, you are the only man I have ever seen that absolutely refuses to accept reality. I mean, you know, I don't live in reality. I live in the Word. The word yeah, that is right. That is the only real reality in the world. But the average Christian... If that doctor, fine Christian lady like she is, walked in and said, I'm sorry, sir, we're going to pull the tubes in Caitlin this morning. We've just done a second MRI. There's nothing attached to her brain. And there's nothing to tell her to move or cross. And when we pull the tubes, she will expire. You know what most people do? They receive that. But I didn't. I said, no. I will not buy that. In fact, I said, as all of you guys got in and got around her, I said, before you pull the tube, I'm going to quote John 15:7 to you all one more time. And I quoted that promise. I said, now then, see the glory of God. Pull the tubes. And when you pull the tubes, you're going to not only see the instrument that's recording her breath, it's going to go up instead of going to go down. And she's not going to not breathe. She's going to cough. And she's going to breathe. She's going to breathe over that machine. And she's going to cough. I guarantee it because Jesus made me the promise and He can't lie. And they all just hung their head and thought, oh, I can just hear what they're saying. This fool... Here we are, the doctors especially. We see the report of the MRI and he's saying she's going to live. He don't have a clue. He's a grandfather in denial. No, I am the first man of faith they ever run into in their life. And they pull those tubes and the machine goes up two points. And they're sitting there looking at that. And then she says, Did she cough? And about 10, 15 minutes later, she coughed again. I don't believe this. And an hour later, she's still doing it. And they said, I don't believe this. I said, Doc, I'm going to tell you all why you never see God do nothing. He is a faith God and He expects you to believe and then He does it. And if you see Him and you don't believe it, then I said, you'll never be able to see God do nothing. If you don't believe it after you've seen it, you sure are never going to see God do nothing for you. But see, we only believe it when we see her walk out the door. And I'm going to tell you this, some of them didn't believe it when she walked out the door. 
Someone says, I just, I just don't believe it. Dr. Marks, when I took her back, when we started to leave that hospital, he said, I don't know how she's lived this month. But he said, she'll never walk. He said, take a wheelchair. I said, no, I'll carry her. She can't walk yet, but she will walk. He said, sir, we'll make you a special motorized wheelchair for her to ride around and she'll never walk a step in her life. They're try- the devil is trying right up to the end. I said, no, she will run and play because Jesus made me the promises. So I don't doubt the Word of God. So when I come home and take the name of Jesus, get her where she can set up, stand up, walk, and all those things, and then on the 30th of the, or 31st, whatever it was, of, January, of December of 01, when I carry her back down there, she's still blind. I hadn't got her eyes back at that time. Of course, we do now. But she's walking on my finger, and we're walking down the hall, and Dr. Marks comes around the corner, and he says, Look at this! She's walking! I said, Of course, I told you she was going to walk. He swoops her up in his arms, takes her in his arms, sits down. He starts listening to her chest, starts pecking on her little knees, her arms, and moving them and everything. And after a little while, I said, Dr. Marks, now what do you think about my Jesus? He says, Sir, all I got to say to you, somebody a whole lot bigger than me, put this little girl back together. I said, And his name's Jesus. I told you what he was going to do. Did he tell us in his word what he would do? Then if this worked for me, who will it work for? It'll work for you, and it'll work for you. It'll work for everybody that believes it. Is God a respecter of person when He comes to His kids? You know what I've learned? My daughter, whenever she was growing up, she wanted to be my favorite child. Daddy, am I your favorite child? She'd run jump up my lap and I'd say, you're my favorite daughter. Daddy, I'm your only daughter. I said, I know that. That's why you can be my favorite daughter. I said, now if I had two daughters, you couldn't be my favorite daughter. But I said, I would love both of you the same. But Daddy, I want to be your favorite child. See, she was insecure. She was insecure and she felt like it would make her more secure if I would tell her that she was my favorite. I loved her more than I did my son. But I never went there. I loved both of them exactly the same. Both of them grew up to be pretty secure kids. Because I would never go there and say, you are my favorite. Why is it that everybody wants to be favorites? See, God don't have no favorites. He said, I love every one of you exactly the same. Isn't that wonderful? I'm glad He don't have any favorites. I'm glad He treats every one of us exactly the same. Because if He had favorites, I might not be one of His favorites. And I might not get anything from Him. How many of you know a mother or a father or a family that's raised children that one of them was a favorite and the other was they didn't care nothing about? One of them they could do everything for and that could do nothing wrong and the rest of them couldn't do nothing right. How many of you know families had raised a boy and a girl and maybe the daddy loved the little girl because she's a girl and she could do nothing wrong but the little boy, he could just look at daddy wrong, he'd get his rear end busted. You ever known people like that? Sure, I have too. But see, we shouldn't be like that because when you do that, you do what somebody did to Bo. And see, and Bo is a middle-aged man. you know, And it has taken all these years for this thing to come to the head. And now he feels like he's a total failure. And he did until he got these demons cast out of him. But once he got these demons cast out of him and he began to realize, hey, this beast that's telling me these things is a liar and the truth is not in him. The devil don't never tell you the truth. So all we need to do, whatever it is, regardless, we need to repent of our sins of unbelief and believe our God is willing to do anything that we can ask Him for. 
with no doubt. And then when you say, hey, Lord, I'm your daughter. I want to lose some of this weight. Lord, I want to be completely healed or whatever. Whatever the problem is, Lord, I want you to control my tongue, my appetite, my teeth. I want you to control everything. I want you to control my metabolism and my body. I want you to help me control something so when I walk in, I don't walk by and do what some people says. When people walk in and they look and say, you know, I just love to eat. Well, yeah, everybody loves to eat, but don't say that. You know, when they walk by and say, oh my goodness, there's ice cream and pie. I just can't pass that up. I just got to have that, but I know I'm going to gain five pounds if I eat that. Don't go there and say that. You know, once in a while, if you say, hey, there's a pie, and I love pie and ice cream, I'm going to have a little bit. Lord, I ask you to make my metabolism fire up. I'm going to have that piece of pie and ice cream. And Lord, I'm going to enjoy every bite of it in the name of Jesus. Bless it. Don't take a bite of food or water into your mouth without blessing it in the name of Jesus. Not a bite. Nothing. Even when you go to a restaurant or at home, you fill up your husband's and your glass of drink, whatever it is, water, tea, coffee, whatever. Bless it. or Have him bless it. And then if you do a refill, bless it again. You know, bless it. Lord, bless this to my physical body. That this will sustain my body. That it will make my body weigh and name the weight you want. And all the rest of the weight, I command it to leave my body in the name of Jesus. I'm a daughter of the King. And He said, I can have anything I say I want. So I want to weigh this, Lord. So I command my body to weigh this. And that's what I do with mine. Lord, I ain't never going to be overweight. I command my body to weigh 170, 175, whatever I want. And you will stay there. You will not go beyond that in the name of Jesus. That kind of sounds a little bizarre, doesn't it? But Jesus said you could do that. I'm sure you're going to do it. When you do it, it'll work. That's how that we pray for these people. That's how that man lost 100 pounds in three months. That's how that lady lost 55 or 56 or 57 pounds in like 30 days or 45 days or whatever it was. We do that. You don't... You have to realize who you are and the power and authority and dominion you've been given over your flesh. So don't yield to the devil. Don't let him put sickness and disease upon you. Don't let him build your weight up unless you want to get overweight. If you want to be somewhere, speak it into existence. But if you don't want to, and most people don't want to be overweight. But if you are, do what the Lord said. Do what the Word said. And then say, Lord, thank you. And then start going. I mean, I've seen people that were overweight, that would begin to speak to their body, begin to exercise and say, Lord, help me to exercise, make my metabolism increase and all this kind of stuff. And next time you see them, a year or two later, somebody might have weighed 250 pounds, a man. And he wanted to weigh 180 Man, he was exactly on 180. He said, man, this stuff works. He said, I ain't never felt better. He said, I eat what I want to when I want it. I just don't gorge myself. And he said, I exercise right. And said, look at me. And he's in perfect health. Well, it's worked for me for 65 years. You know, if it works for me for 65 years, who will it work for? Anybody. Now, if you put on 50 or 100 or like that one lady, 160 extra pounds in a year due to medication, how fast do you think you can take that off? It's totally up to you and your belief. Some people, it may take a year. Some people may take two years. But if you stay with it in the Word and keep saying it, it will come off of you. As long as you stay with it. You can do it because Jesus said you can do it. Now, that was Jesus speaking a while ago in all the Scriptures we read, wasn't it? 
You know, now I'll tell you this last little t- tremendous testimony about Mark eleven twenty four. He says, "Whatever you desire when you pray, believe you have received it, and it shall be yours." That's the verse I used to get Caitlin's vow fixed in her throat. We took her home to the hospital, and the one thing I did believe that the doctors told me is don't feed her by mouth because the valve in her throat does not work. Well, I believed that. And so we had a plug in her tummy, and I had to feed her with a little plug through her stomach every time I fed her. Well, as we went along, I kept praying over that valve. But every two months, we took her back to the doctor, and it never worked. I prayed over it, repented. I did everything I knew to do for ten months, and the valve never worked. And then I come home one day and I said, Lord, I don't understand. I have a sin in my life. I have something wrong. I don't know where. I've missed it. But it's got to be me because your word can never go wrong. I said, I've got to have a sin or something in my life. And that's easy to do. And so I come to the Lord and I said, Lord, if I've got a sin, I want to get rid of it. I want to repent. I said, what is the sin? And I started reading Mark eleven twenty four, And he revealed to me my sin was I didn't believe his promise. He says, when you pray, believe you have received it, and it shall be yours. This is where it will put faith to the test beyond your wildest dreams. That little grandbaby was the only grandbaby I had at the time. i got one more now. My son, his wife, just had a baby eight, eight months ago. I guess Preston's eight months old. But Caitlin was all I had. And they clearly told me, if I feed her or give her anything to drink by mouth, it's going to kill her. So don't dare put nothing in her mouth. Well, I hadn't for ten months. After the tenth month, and we just took her to the doctor, and they checked the valve, and it don't work. I come home saying, Lord, how did I miss this? What did I do wrong? I've been using Mark eleven twenty four, which says, whatever you desire, and I desire the valve in Caitlin's throat to work. It says, when you pray, believe you have received, and it shall be yours. I said, Lord, I believe, but it's not worked. I said, I'll take her back in two months and it don't work. Then he revealed to me, you didn't believe. If you had believed, you would have fed her after you prayed. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh. This is what you call walking up to the edge of the cliff and it looks like it's a hundred feet right straight down and the Lord says, Step out there by faith. But Lord, there ain't nothing under there. He says, take a step. How many of you know that's difficult? I took that step. I repented for my unbelief. I prayed the prayer of faith over my grandbaby. And then I went over to her house where her and her daddy was. And I said, Toby, God's waiting on you and me. He said, what do you mean? I said, I just repented. I re-prayed. The valve works. Feed her. He said, Thurman, we just got back from the doctor two weeks ago and it didn't work. I said, it didn't work two weeks ago. It didn't work this morning, but it works right now. He said, how do you know that? I said, the Word says it does. And so I convinced him to feed her. He gave her a bowl of applesauce and a bottle of juice and she ate it and drank it. And she'd be seven in January the 12th. Just come back from a skiing trip in Colorado with her uncle and her aunt. And she's running and playing and eating every since that day. Does the word really work? 
Yes, it does. Will God put you to the test? He has me. And what I hate, He's not through putting me to the test. I don't like tests. Do you? I don't like them. But let me tell you, you're going to have them. So get used to it. There will be times you may get so tired of the test you want to throw in the towel and just die. I've been there. I've been there. But every time I go there, I think about, devil, that's what you want to do is take me out. You're trying everything you can to take me out. Because what I'm teaching from God's Word is changing people's lives. It's get people healed and delivered. So I'm not going out until Jesus takes me home one day. That's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to, with the help of my lovely wife, I'm going to walk in love. And when I get out of line, she's going to slap me back in line. <laughs> in love, you're going to slap me back in there, right? Honey? <laughs> she's not violent at all. But that's why you need a good helpmate. You need a good, loving helpmate. So, anybody have any other questions? I'll try to answer a few questions if you got one before we pray for people. <clears throat> okay. Do what, sir? Oh, okay. Okay. There are six words that Paul taught in one of his letters that has changed the way I. My problem is not overeating, but it is lustful desire. It's make no occasion for the flesh. And that means you don't go to an all you can eat buffet. You don't fix more food than you need to have. You don't buy ice cream if you're tempted to eat it at midnight. Mine is I can't. There's certain places. When I was a building contractor, there are certain parts of town I just didn't go in. Uh, certain shows I can't watch. I turned commercials off. I can't watch those. And so I'm making no occasion for the flesh. I'm not going to be put in a place if I can help it. That's going to tempt me to to lust or to overeat or eat unhealthy things. I don't take. I teach school now. I don't take extra money to school if I don't want to go buy that candy bar in the afternoon. That's the best way for me to control myself is to not have resources Amen. to do what I don't want to do. Amen. How many of you know if you like a candy bar and you got two of them in a glove box, you eat them both before you get home, right? If you don't have them, I just, every time I hear somebody give me a testimony like that, I think about the woman that says, Lord, I like them Krispy Kreme donuts. And Lord, I'm going to work this morning. And if you want me to have a Krispy Kreme donut this morning, you have me a parking place right in front of the front door when I go by. So the lady gets to work. She got a box of Krispy Kreme donuts. And the lady said, wow, I thought you were going to stop doing that. She said, well, yeah, but I asked the Lord. Lord, if you want me to have a box this morning, you make a parking place right in the front door. And she said, I come by this morning and said, I got a parking place right in the front door. She said, I did have to drive around the block 15 times before I found that, but I finally found it. Now, you know where I'm coming from, right? She had let the lust of the flesh get through to her when she was going to have the Krispy Kreme. And so, unfortunately, that's the way we are. So, if we don't do that, if we stand in faith with the Word of God in a love relationship, we don't have to overeat, we don't have to overindulge, we don't have to indulge in anything. Uh, pornography, a sexual immorality, uh, cars, it doesn't matter what it is, you can overcome all the things if you really stay close to God. Any other questions before we pray for people? <clears throat>